And we are live. Hey, everyone. Joe here with our fifth uh, Patreon hangout. And uh, I think, actually, if I do my regular podcast intro, this is going to be big episode number 90. So we're doing a nice round number. We're, we're approaching on 100. And if the rate at which I put out shows uh, stays pretty steady, then uh, that'll be sometime next year. But... <laughs> Anyways, uh, I'm here with, uh, there's uh, four of us today, so a little smaller hangout than we're used to, but uh, it is Memorial Day in the U.S., so uh, some of our regular uh, U.S. contributors were not necessarily able to make it. But anyways, today we are going to be talking about uh, what I, I guess, like to call a diamond in the rough games, or uh, also known as Joe wants to increase uh, the list of games that he has to cover in the future. So I want you guys to tell me about games I haven't heard of. Um, I guess we can go around... The, uh, the room here, and uh, we can introduce ourselves, though you guys have all been here before, so uh, let's start off with Brian. I'm Brian. I go by HD Brian on social medias and all that good stuff. I'm Kansas City, Missouri area. <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> that was my ringtone. Nice. Nice. Very nice. Talk about somebody tweeting about a podcast. I don't know. Aha, me well. That would be me. <laughs> all right. Now about we go next with Tomer. Hi, I'm uh, Tomer from Israel, and I'm full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> and for someone crap. else who's full, and for someone else who's full of crap, how about trolls? Hello, I'm the Space Quest crap guy. Uh, <laughs> yes, I am back for another scintillating hangout with my good friend Joe, my good friend Brian, and Tomer. And uh, I've, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you, man. I love Israel. No, and my arch um, nemesis Tomer. <laughs> and the deer, uh, arch. Okay, and I've got my swear jar handy. If you want to be salty, you know, just kind of ignore me. It's like you're not even worth being my arch nemesis anymore. <laughs> I would never do so, sir. In fact, you are my good drinking buddy. So, cheers, everyone. Mm-hmm. Now, need to get my beer. Hold on, sir. I am to uh, to represent Canada because I got it as a Christmas <laughs> gift. I am drinking Tom Green beer. Oh, dear God, no, not Tom Green. <laughs> it's actually surprisingly not bad. It's a milk stout. So As nice opposed stout. to his sense of humor, I guess. Yeah, which is pretty awful. It's pretty awful. Have you guys yeah. seen that stupid-ass movie he did once? Uh, Freddy Got Fingered? Yeah, that's the one. What the it's hell was that? It's a very bad movie. It's, it's terrible. I couldn't make it past 20 minutes or something. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I give you a beer locally brewed in the Judean mountains. How weird is that? Awesome. That is pretty weird. But it's good. Let's brew it. Well, you know, beer in hot climates is very appropriate. This is. Oh, kitty cat number two. Hey, come meet the nice people, kitty cat. <laughs> come here, kitty cat. By, by the end of this hangout, we are going to see everyone's cats. <laughs> oh, see, he doesn't want to do it. Oh, not a fan. This cat hates being picked up. Oh my god, you're shedding. <laughs> Jesus. My, my hey. cat froze for a second, watched the screen, and then went back to licking herself. <laughs> it's like another one. <laughs> All right, so now that we've seen everyone's cats, how about we get rolling? So uh, I know some of you guys have lists. I don't have a huge list because I'm, I've been sick all week. So uh, yeah, who, good excuse, man. Yeah. So yeah, who wants I, to begin? We can kind of round round robin it and, and go through. That's some kind stuff. of a shitty excuse. My week is uh, more than a week old, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm just lazy. Uh, 
I, I just I just quickly want to know: uh, Are we limiting ourselves to uh, uh, games from the Dawson pre Windows XP gaming era, or are we doing console games as well? Oh, we can do console games as well. I mean, let's uh, let's let's go nuts. I, I try to stay within you know the scope of your show, uh, mm-hmm. and also Dawson pre Windows XP, um, but um, I didn't really do that. <laughs> and that's fine. That's no, like I, I said, these 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 are. When I come up with the, the concept for these things, it's really just like a, a suggestion, and I like the conversation to kind of go go where it may. And, you know, I've, I've always been a console guy as well, and uh, frankly, I was playing uh, Uncharted 2 this morning because uh, I'm behind the times, and I want to get caught up to play Uncharted 4. I did not. That's I unfortunate. Woke up, I woke up at 3 p.m. or something. I remember those days. <sighs> <laughs> Do you want to start off by uh, kind of figuring out what we mean by diamonds and the rough? Okay. So, I mean, when when I thought of it, I kind of was thinking of games that, you know, you have played and you have enjoyed that you think maybe people haven't really heard of or games that might be wrongly, you know, maligned for being bad when they're not really necessarily bad. You know, it, it's just kind of pretty broad. What, what do you guys think a diamond in the rough might be? Well, I can uh, I, certainly I, I can agree with that definition. Um, when you say diamond in the rough games, I also thought you know games that are rightly forgotten, but uh, they had an interesting idea that was just terribly executed, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, that's also an idea. Disney's Aladdin, which also ties into the thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a shitty game. Well, Disney's Aladdin. It was okay. It was better than The Lion King, which was uh, uncompletable. Was well, I'm trying to remember because Aladdin, there were a couple of versions of that, right? And wasn't the there was like a Genesis version, and I think that one was quite good, or maybe I'm thinking of the wrong one. Well, I, I played the SNES version. That was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I liked it, and it was beautiful graphics, man. And the PC version as well, hard as balls. Mm. Brian, you were saying? I was saying that both Aladdin and Lion King had Genesis and NES versions, and there are people who love one side and love the other side. I had a Genesis, so I, I love both the Genesis versions of those games. But so yeah, I'm, Genesis. I'm in the minority of not liking this game, I take it. I'm on the fence. It looks beautiful, but then all games that look beautiful aren't necessarily good. I mean, one of the things I had on my list, and that's why I brought up the alternate definition of Diamond in the Rough, was Rise of the Robots. Anyone well, remember that? Heard. Um, it was a good idea. It was no, just executed was horribly. Great. It was later than One Must Fall 2097, and it sucked balls compared to it. So how is that a good idea? (laughs) I mean, the concept is good. Robots fighting each other. I mean, who doesn't want to see that? But it was just everything you could do wrong, they did with that game. It's it's unplayable. Uh, The graphics are, well, they were nice, but they're kind of dated. There was no music in it, even though Brian May was supposedly the composer for it. He, you know, threw one power chord in there, and that was it. Um, but anyway, what, uh, what One Must Fall did right, Rise of the Robots totally did wrong. Yeah, because I'm looking at a, at, a, at a picture of it, and it does look you know, quite a bit like One Must Fall. Except in every meaningful aspect, like gameplay, graphics, music, sound, fun. Uh, <laughs> there is no fun in the game. And two-player mode was the worst because one player had to play with the um, standard protagonist game. Only player two could switch uh, between the different robots. And the oh different God. robots were so unbalanced that you know player two would always inevitably win. 
Well, that's okay. unfortunate. So, so basically, there you're saying that the uh, the concept of, of robots fighting each other was a very cool one, but the, it was a cool one. But the so execution that, of it was not. Your definition is that a diamond and rough game, or is that just a shitty game? Yeah. Like, I just, I just, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there because I like the idea, and I got suckered in by the box art, which was phenomenally cool. They had this two CD the director's cuts of Rise of the Robots, and it had a beautiful box, like glossy and everything. And um, disc two was basically just the artist's uh, work folder just thrown onto the test the test the robots. Test, uh, what the hell? I'm echoing. Tomer. Oh yeah, that's Tomer. Oh, yeah, that's Tomer. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, uh, and the game is uh, virtually unplayable. That's it. So, but I, but I got suckered into it. So. There's, a, there's a screenshot, and let's see if I can actually find the, the box art. Uh, look for the uh, director's cut box art. Box art. You guys are gonna watch me Google. Isn't this awesome? Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the future. Tell me. You can probably find a decent enough version in like a porn site under sucking balls. <laughs> yeah, this is the box art. But just imagine the uh, supervisor robot here is uh, you know shimmery, glossy, kind of embossed in the on, on the box. Oh wait, that's actually the it's uh, actually the, uh, the the disc the disc itself. Oh okay. No, but uh, a dual case, I mean. Um, yeah, but close enough. Really beautiful. Although it does look like her arm is going through her tit. I don't know what's what's up with that. Ah, there, my first uh, my first muted cough of the hangout. Nice. I, yeah, I call cool. I call censorship on that. <laughs> so, who, wants, who wants to go with the first actual diamond in the rough? Yeah, yeah that's more that. like uh, rough in the diamond. Yeah, or a, a shit in the diamond. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> well, has anyone ever heard of Labyrinth of Time? No, tell us no. about it. Or I haven't. That's that's my best pick for what I thought was Diamond in the Rough because it's a game that I've never met anyone else who played, and I played this game like hours and hours all night long. Sometimes I remember it was like 7 a.m. and I started the night before, and it was time to go to school, and I called in sick because I, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been up all night. I couldn't stay conscious, and it's not a great game to most people. Um, it is a first-person <clears throat> adventure exploration type game, and. Uh, how do I let you guys see what I've got on my tab, like you were doing? Is that possible? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Screen share. Go to the uh, thing, the bar on the left. If you move your mouse over to the left side of the Hangout, you can you can screen share. And it's the second uh, icon. All right. Well, this is just uh, some clips of what the game kind of looks like. I don't know if it's popping up yet. Yep, there it is. Uh, wow. It's, it's very, very mist, like mist, but it's, uh, it's more grid-like. There's You only look... True north, true east, true west as you move around. Um, so it was nice. made it made it really easy to make maps for it. And the icon on the right uh, is actually a map icon where it auto generates a map. And I am horrible at uh, navigation. You know, my wife's always the one who has to navigate for me. Um, so me games too. like this that have maps built into them really work for me. And uh, as you travel through the world, this game is in. You go through. Um, you know, one one screen you're in one time, and then you walk through, and all of a sudden you're in the future. You're in old <laughs> west. You're in the 40s. You're in. So it was it was really cool the the time aspect of it. And you had to find items from different times. Um, this looks I, really. It, 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 <laughs> it looks a little bit like a, an unholy child of Eye of the Beholder and like Indiana Jones adventure game or something. It's really really yeah. weird. 
Well, and before that, I really liked uh, Shadowgate. And I don't know if anybody's played the DOS Shadowgate, but it is uh, a version I played, of course, I talked about on CGA. Mm-hmm. Though it's also very similar to that, where, again, I don't... Has anybody played Shadowgate? That's a more known game, at least. I know of it. I've never played it. Okay. Well. Yeah, same with me. See, and that's one of the good things I love about doing the show, is that, like, you guys and, like, you know, Anatoly and everyone just keeps talking about all these games. I've never heard of them before in my life. And that was kind of, like, how I thought of doing this. Well, yeah, you are a genius, sir. Oh, yeah, that's me. I've realized my theme across the first ones that I wanted to talk about were I really, for some reason, loved adventure games that were first-person view. Um, Isn't Shadowgate an RPG? Or am no, I completely... That's Shadowrun, or Shadowgate one as well. No, yeah, Shadowrun is definitely an RPG, unless you're talking about that awful uh, Xbox 360 version that they made a shooter out of. Oh. That's a whole different story. <laughs> now, Shadowgate was actually on the NES, too, and it was uh, definitely a point-and-click adventure. I think it might have been the first point-and-click adventure on the uh, on the NES. Um, but I like the CJ graphics a lot. For some reason, I've, I've, I've really grown to love the CJ. I mean, when I was a kid, the CGA colors were just, I mean, garish, like like eye-burning garish. But uh, I've really, maybe it's because I'm getting nostalgic about it, but I, I've, I've come to love the magenta. No, but I think I agree. Good. No, that's uh, I was just saying. I think I agree. Like at the time when when I got a CGA game, I was like, oh, this is old. It's no good. It's crappy because I, I think I said I was talking about it on Twitter or a previous show or something. Basically, we we went from I guess we had, it must have been either our, our PC, or our XT was kind of like, you know, uh, two color, you know, green and black kind of a thing. And from there up, like from the 286 onwards, we had VGA. So I never had like. Whenever I played a CGA game, it's because the game could only do CGA or EGA even. Mm-hmm. I used to do these weird things where I would uh, start up a game that I knew ran in MCGA or VGA, and I would purposefully put it into EGA and CGA mode just to see how it, uh, you know, how how they got around the limitations. I mean, if you've ever played the Mean Streets in mm-hmm. CGA or EGA mode, or uh, some of the uh, some of the VGA remakes that Sierra Online did of uh, Police Quest and Space Quest and such. Putting those into um, uh, to to um, EGA modes is, is really fun. Never ever play Space Quest Four in EGA. It's hmm. awful. It's it and and the two guys from Andrum, I mean Mark Crow himself uh, told me that they just did not give a shit about EGA at that point. So <laughs> they just went save as sixteen color. Fuck it. Let's oh, yeah. move on. Well, I guess at that point it was kind of like, you know, we're playing to the VGA audience. This is what we want to do. This is how we want it to look. We're going to do EGA because Ken told us to. <laughs> oh, kind of uh, oh uh, uh, in, in contrast, try playing um, um, Cocktail Vision games in uh, in EGA. If you play Ween, which is a strange name for a game, but anyway, <laughs> if, you, if you play that in VGA, you've got these digitized actors. If you play it in EGA, they actually, you know, it's not rotoscoping, but it's basically they traced over the actors and you know colored them in nicely and really put some effort into making the game as pretty as it could be in 16 colors. Sierra would just like screw it. Right, and then of course there's always the age-old uh, argument of Loom EGA versus oh, VGA. There is no argument EGA. No, there isn't. There isn't obviously. <laughs> Hello, Anatoly. <laughs> Sorry, disagree. Oh, really. The EJ version is beautiful, so is the VGA version, and I could never figure out why all the hubbub. 
Uh, I think I think the VGA version. If if you're talking about the CG, the CD version. Sorry, uh, still hungover. If you're talking about oh. the CD version, it completely butchers the script. And and we, we've had this conversation before. Okay, if you if you like the VGA graphics, play the FM Towns version. Done deal. Absolutely. I played most of my early PC games. I'd say almost five years all on CGA. Because I, I mentioned back in first, you know, my first hardware, real hardware upgrade was. Uh, sound card because I got used to the CGA graphics but for me it was the uh, the bleeps and bloops just hurt my ears from the PC <laughs> right. I got a you know a sound blaster that was you know first sound not sound blaster 16 or anything was just sound blaster but so I could hear you know what these games had to offer and it made it more full experience and then I skipped EGA because I had CGA all through EGA and through the beginning of VGA and then I think I got a SVGA car after my CGA card I mean pretty Pretty big jump there. I skipped a lot because right. a lot of games, like you talked about, offered CGA versions still um, for a very long time. Into the some of them even into the early '90s, but at least into the late '80s. So um, one game, one game I used to love putting in uh, CGA mode was this one. Uh, I don't know if you guys can see it. Yeah, uh, David Wolf, Secret Agent. Apparently, this dude's playing it in EGA, but uh, it could also run in VGA. But in CGA, this was just. This was, <laughs> it was awful. It was ugly as hell. And it's you funny because this is something that I totally missed out on where all of these Dynamics adventure games, except for obviously Space Quest V and um, I guess the Adventures of Willy Beamish that I covered on the show, the rest of them I'd never heard of before in my life until I started doing the show. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, look at that. <laughs> I'm hang gliding over Lego City. Is that a spider on top of the screen? I think so, or it's a bullet hole. <laughs> oh, he's got a mounted turret on his. I was gonna say, I like that you're hanging. No, Wolf has escaped. God damn it, Wolf! <laughs> oh, this, this is actually cool because it's like uh, it's almost like they're f photos, sort of. They are. Uh, it's it's a Dynamics game, and they actually it, they they you know touted it as a um, an interactive movie. Let's just call it. <laughs> I mean, what they scan they scan people and threw them in there. It's kind of like Mean Streets. Uh, except, except it's nothing like Mean Streets because it's an action game, but still, you, you get the idea. It kind of reminds me, and it, you know, not maybe of the quality of the game, but it, it reminds me a bit of Police Quest Four. Yeah, it does. Not way except Police Quest Four is even worse than this. Yeah, that's just like not a good game. Oh, that was some '90s hair on that guy. <laughs> well, on the topic of CGA, I mean, uh, it's, it's worth noting that it was. Well, it wasn't maligned as such, but I mean that the card as it is wasn't really uh, used to the maximum. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I just linked you an image. What the hell is going on? Yeah, here it is. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Wow. Right, so this is from uh, a demo from last year with, uh, you know, among others, uh, Andrew Jenner, who's responsible for uh, Digger and Mastered, and uh, Jim Leonard, uh, a.k.a. Trickster, uh, responsible for some of the coding. So yeah, it was pretty awesome. It actually won the old-school demo competition at Revision. But it's nice. amazing what they managed to produce with just a crappy IBM PC and a CGA and a Sound Blaster. It's just... A Lightheart has a VGA plug in the bottom right corner. The what? <laughs> It has a VGA plug in the bottom right corner. Well, I mean, it's a whatever, 12-pin or 8-pin or whatever, didn't. Oh, there's control. actually, I think in this case, it's actually a DB9, but let me switch. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, it's a DB9. It's an old uh, 
I'm not even sure if it's RGB per se, but I mean, it's it's basically the CGA connector. Uh, you can't plug a VGA monitor to a CGA. I stand corrected. Has, uh, has anyone seen uh, Dos Nostalgic's tweets lately where he's been putting up, uh, what was it, composite CGA, where you can actually yeah. sort of... Uh, how, how does that work? Does anyone know how that actually works? I yeah. do. I just posted a link just now to a YouTube video where a guy explains composite CGA. Oh. I'm not putting that on right now. <laughs> uh, the 8-bit guy, and he, and he does a very good job of explaining it, um, showing the CGA graphics cards that had... Some cards had the RGBI composite and um, even a third connector. Um, hmm. It's an 11-minute long video, but he really goes into good detail. I can't do it justice. It's truly worthwhile, yeah. The, uh, everything that this guy is into is actually really worthwhile. I'm, I'm also supporting him on Patreon, but uh, this particular is really good. Hey, a fellow 8-Bit Guy fan, awesome. He used to be the, uh, what was it, I, iBook Guy, and now he'd switch to 8-Bit Guy. So, maybe, yeah. maybe, he'll, maybe he'll grow up and become 16-Bit Guy. Who knows? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> um... When he reaches retirement age, he'll be 64-bit guy. If the listeners want to watch it, just YouTube search for 8-bit guy CGA, and it'll take it right to that video. And around um, seven and a half mark is where he shows some of the games using the composite. Um, Qbert, for example, he shows using VGA mm. composite, and it looks really looks better than the NES uh, Qbert game. Okay, so for anyone who's uh, you know listening to this instead of watching it, uh, just briefly, composite CGA is apparently magic because it turns the <laughs> standard ugly four-color magenta, cyan, black, and white CGA into something that resembles 16-color EGA. Well, at least in the case of you know King's Quest and such. I think King's Quest One can run in composite CGA. Anyway, it's magic. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it's like using like mapping or whatever. Like it takes those four bits. And maps them to another set of memory or something like that. Who knows? I mean, well, I, I just tried asking Brian, and uh, he just showed me a YouTube page. So I there don't you go. Know. So, well, just go watch that video, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not that easy to explain. But mm -hmm. uh, well, well, we're still on the subject of CGA, and actually tying back to what we're supposed to be talking about, which is diamonds in the rough. Uh, here's thanks, a game. <laughs> What's that? I just said thanks, Dad. <laughs> Someone's uh, got to keep us on track. Yeah. So there's uh, an old game called Round 42. Uh, let me do a, a quick screen here. Uh, that actually uh, makes a lot of use of... Wait a minute. This isn't working right. Actually makes use of uh, CGA graphics in a, in a very, very different manner. Mm. Uh, than, you know, no, no or anything of the sort. It uses a, a tweaked mode, which I'm trying to show... Oh, here it is. Right, it's uh, it's kind of a shooter, uh, a shooter game basically, where you, uh, uh, how shall I put this? You, you control this uh, pad and you shoot at alien thingies basically, <laughs> which another one. Uh, like every other action game for DOS. Ooh. So yeah, but I mean, this is CGA. So the weird thing about it, you, you'll notice that it's uh, on on one hand it's very very kind of colorful, on the other hand it's quite blocky. The reason is it used it actually used text mode um, in a very very uh, tweaked kind of way. Um, oh yeah, there's an explanation here. Anyway, it uses uh, it used the CGA text mode so that you effectively get a resolution of 160 by 100, but you get uh, practically 16 colors on screen at the same time. Yeah, because there's on definitely more than four colors on there. 
Yeah, so it's uh, another really, really awesome technique, and it's actually a very good game. I really, really dug the shit out of this when I was uh, when I was in you know in school or or whenever that was. Uh, played the heck out of it. It's actually really, really fun, and uh, it's kind of unique in that it it really pioneered um, a, a tweak that wasn't very common in games. And now there's probably a few dozen games that use the same technique. Uh, some of them are actually reasonably well known, uh, but Round Forty Two is is definitely a you know definitely meets the diamond in the rough definition for me. Mm-hmm. Never heard of it. Very cool. Um, let's see. Um, I have my notes here. Just gonna pull that one up. Sure. Uh, oh yeah, I I, I got to throw this one in here. You probably already know about this one. Uh, uh, I mean, everyone and their cousin have played uh, uh, Bomberman or right. Super Bomberman or Atomic Bomberman. But I want I want to throw one in for the original Dino Blaster because oh. I I don't I don't really like Bomberman, but I love Dino Blaster, especially in two-player mode because it's slow and methodical and uh, it's almost strategic. And whereas Bomberman is just I get stressed out playing Bomberman. So how is that, uh, you know, obscure in any way, though? It's not obscure, but when when most people say, let's play Bomberman, they will put on Atomic Bomberman or Super Bomberman or whatever, and no one will ever sit down with me and play Dino Blaster. And I really want to get Dino Blaster in there. Well, well, you know why not. I mean, it's either you or because it's slow and it's methodical. (laughs) Bomberman is all hectic and everything happens all at once. So you know, I think I like the slow, arcadey type thing. Right. So the Dino Blaster is kind of more like the original, more strategy based kind of. Because it's slower, it becomes more strategy like. It's it's basically the same game. It's just way slower, (coughs) and I quite like it. So there. No, and that's cool. I mean, it's kind of like one of those... Like, for example, I've, I've never played Dino Blaster. I've only ever played some iteration of, of Bomberman, so I don't even know if I would like it better. Maybe I would. It's kind of like, you know, in music where you have, like, an original song, and then, you know, it's not that popular, and then someone covers it, like, ten years after it comes out, and the cover becomes kind of the de facto version of the song that everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, Mad World. Exactly what I was thinking is Mad World. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to... Uh... Holy sh- oh, yeah, the music pretty awesome, too. I have to turn that off. Um, here we go. Screen share, you bastard. There you, you go. can do it. Um, the game looks like this. So it does. It looks, it's it's Bomberman. Like, even the little dude is, is the Bomberman guy. I think it's, it's a just, good example of them in the rough because it's one that, you know, nobody's... Everyone's played Bomberman who plays games. Not everyone, obviously, but, you know, it's a version that very few people have actually seen or played, so... Mm-hmm. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, and I mean, I, and, I'm, and I'm one of them, honestly. Like, I, I haven't. I've only ever played Bomberman. And to be honest, Bomberman was never my favorite game, so I never played much of it. And you no, get but I, four-player Bomberman going with, with three friends, and you, you will have a blast, trust me. Oh, yeah. Ah, pun intended. Uh, you can only do two players in the original Dino Blaster, but it's fun, and I really like it. Okay, I'm going to stop talking about Bomberman now. <laughs> I'll just jump back to the um, text-based uh, graphics that Tomer was talking about. Um, you know, we've got the original Rogue, which, you know, the term roguelike, Everyone knows that term, but very few people, I believe, have ever actually played 
the original Rogue, where the character is a smiley icon, yeah. you know, an, an Anzi character, and <clears throat> you know he walks around and discovers a you know procedurally generated maze, you know the dungeon. Oh, that is cool. You know, there's Pokemon roguelikes now. I mean, that's how popular roguelike is. But oh yeah, I, mean, I don't know anyone who I've talked about the original Rogue who played it. And I say, you know, it's that game where you're 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 the the Anzi smiley character walking around, and you know, they, it felt full color. I mean, I'm sharing it right now. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, the uh, CGA, you know, full color text. So worked great. I gotta be honest. I've never understood the uh, appeal of roguelike games. It it took me the longest while to ever figure out what a roguelike actually is. Um, you have to be okay with dying a lot. <laughs> well, <basically. yeah. laughs> What I loved about roguelikes, well, uh, the original Rogue specifically, is the um, you know the exploration. You never know what's going to happen. But le- as I grew older, I realized that it actually kind of sucked because you could go <laughs> down a long path and just end up in a dead end for nothing. Um, right, because it was procedurally generated to the point where it would make like an impossible. Yeah, and, and I was trying to explain to my kids that I think uh, they like to play Minecraft. And you can, you know, every Minecraft level, when you start in levels, procedurally generated, and then you can find caves and caverns in there that can be huge or be super small, and you never know. And I was trying to explain to them that, that this feels like a roguelike when you're going through the caves and stuff. You know, they're all doing their thing, building and mining, and I'm just trying to explore. Because that's, again, I love games where I can explore. Mm-hmm. I mean, this looks really, really cool. I like, uh, first of all, I like that it's in, in text mode. I think it's it's pretty awesome. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was just walking around a room where the room would sort of light up as he, yep. you know, this fog of war style thing. Uh, this this looks really, really cool. So I would I would love to play Doom like this. Rogue? Sorry? Have any of you ever played the original Rogue? Yep. Yeah, you have. Okay, so you know well, exactly. Of course, Tomer has. What are your What are your thoughts on it? Because I, at the day, back in the day, I loved it. I mean, this was, you know, my crappy eighty eighty six. Uh, actually, it was an eighty eighty eight. The first PC, you know, it was the eight bit version of the eighty eighty six. And it could run this game where I could explore forever. Because it was, you know, procedural generated. It was never going to be the same thing twice. So what, what happens if it runs out of space? What happens if it runs out of screen real estate? Does it just uh, you go to the next level? Okay, cool. In All right, sorry. Level, Tell me. How deep can you go before you die, and then you start back over? So before I uh, address Rogue, just a point of order: the 8088 was not actually an 8-bit processor. It was, you know, it was a 16-bit processor that sucked. But this anyway, is, this is why we better. need you on these on these. 16-bit yes. processor made for 8-bit motherboards. 8-bit data bus, basically. Yes. Yeah, it sucks. Anyway. Uh, so Rogue, yeah, I played a bit of it. I think I either came onto it when it was, in a way, a bit too late because uh, I started on uh, PCs in 1989. So that was actually pretty late in the game at that point. And uh, yeah, I mean, we already had games with uh, with graphics and even similar similar style game games with graphics. So you know, I played a heck of a lot of like text games, but I think uh, I would classify the ones that I actually did play as kind of more casual, whereas Rogue always felt a bit more, um, you know, a little bit in-depth, so I never really got around to playing it. If you can see my screen right now, it mapped almost every key on the keyboard to a different command. Uh, Yeah, you didn't need a lot of them, but still. (laughs) Yeah, it's... it's, uh, it's a really good game. It was very innovative, but I mean, I never, I never kind of got into it. I guess. 
So I did play it a little bit, but that was like a million years ago. You know, and there's still a new roguelike Pokemon game coming out soon. So I mean, its its legacy is still living on to this day. And I think it came out in '83. Um, that's just yeah. A- and I mean, you know, ro- roguelikes have have I guess in the past what five years really just like found. I don't even know if they found new life or they you know be- it became a genre because I don't they really feel like from. From Rogue until recently, there weren't a lot of roguelikes. You could you could consider Diablo in many ways to be a roguelike game. I was just wondering that because it is procedurally generated, but I didn't know if if, uh, if, if you know the RPG police would jump down my throat by suggesting that Diablo was a roguelike. Diablo was first pitched as a roguelike before. Okay, so it, it was kind of a roguelike, and then you know, yeah. a while inertion happened. It evolved into its own thing. You know, the roguelike RPG. How about that? <laughs> Yeah, and that's kind of like, and, and you know, that's probably where uh, hardcore nightmare, or whatever you want to call it, mode comes from. Yeah, because that's a true roguelike. You die, you start over. And I guess now they kind of have evolved the genre a little bit to where, yes, you die, but you, you know, whatever gains you make in, in terms of money or abilities or whatever will kind of progress. You know, so you there is still a, a progression, but you still do the whole dying and. You know, starting over, but you know, it's not just oh, the same thing over and over again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, side, quick side note: we had some fun over on the uh, uh, Backstreet Designers Facebook page back when that thing was still alive, uh, where we were talking about how to make a procedurally generated randomized adventure game. Like you would have puzzles that could have different solutions depending on what items were randomly dropped in certain rooms. It got kind of freaky. Um, but anyway. Bayesian, Bayesian open crowdsource or something. <laughs> Sounds horrible. So the computers will take over. Um, yeah, basically. Anyway, uh, there, no point to that story. Just uh, just thinking about uh, trying to do procedural. Because I like procedurally generated stuff, even though people are saying that it's overused in this day and age. I wouldn't know because I don't play modern games. So I'm, I'm still infatuated with the idea of procedurally generated stuff. Um, and I thought it would be it would be fun to try and do that in an adventure game setting, although it would take some serious headache to work out, you know, a cohesive narrative built around random random shit. Right, that's the thing. It would be hard to tell a story through, you know, random events. I, I, I mean, I guess you could. It, it would be maybe something to the effect of, you know, and maybe that it would be more you know, Diablo-esque, where that, oh, you know, you it would create some type of random environment for you to progress through, and that environment would have certain things in it, just not always in the same place. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe there would be puzzles strewn about, but they would be randomly positioned, and, you know, you could still kind of have an adventure game that way. Exactly. And you could, you could go the lazy way and just say, that, you know, there are set puzzles. I mean, there's a house you have to go into, but the location of the house will be randomized every time. And the hammer that you use to smash the window will be in a random location every time, which is not... It's not what I was thinking. It's it's that that doesn't sound fun. But uh, you can right. You, and I think it would be it would be very hard to not have dead ends in a game like that. Oh yeah. And Walking Dead and all that stuff. But whatever. Uh, you know, kind of in the same vein, I I it, uh, Castle Wolfenstein came to mind. Ooh, the original one. Yes, the one that that inspired Wolfenstein 3D. Has anyone played that? I've seen it. It's it's another one where you're controlling little smiley face guy. Uh, dragging uh, dragging the corpses of Nazis around and hiding them. It actually sounds like it would be a really, really fun 3D game. Like, the original Wolfenstein would be a really fun 3D game. Uh, not that the uh, Wolfenstein 3D that we got isn't fun, it's just not the original Wolfenstein. Right. 
Yeah, I think the original festival plan was, uh, you know, would translate to a 3D game that's closer to Metal Gear Solid, I think, than what we actually ended up with. Yeah, or, or Steve. Or, right, it's more of a... Uh, how do I explain it? It's a, uh, it's a stealth game. Yeah, it's a stealth, sneaky, roundy, uh, wear someone's uniform kind of game. Which I didn't like. Uh, hence, uh, I prefer the Nazi murdering mayhem thingy that Wolfenstein 3D turned out to be. So, yeah, <laughs> I've never liked stealth games because I don't have the patience for them. I liked a lot of the games, like Thief was an awesome game. <laughs> Welcome to Castle Wolfenstein, mate. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Be careful, mate. It's <laughs> a fucking Australian Wolfenstein. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the Apple II version. It'll be interesting to see if these YouTube videos actually come out on the uh, on the final video, but but we're having fun, so who cares about everyone else watching? Okay, this is long. Did you mean that? May just be the, oh, there we go. There's the actual game. There we go. Well, on the IBM PC, it was Mr. Smiley Face. Yeah, this is the Apple II version. Let's see if there's a... uh... Yeah, it's tough. Anyways, I mean, it's the same idea. I had an Apple II back in the day. (laughs) That dude dude looks like he's wearing a burger. One of those burger suits you see standing outside cheap fast food restaurants. It's Wolfenstein 3D Burger Time Edition, or Wolfenstein Burger Time Edition. <laughs> so, uh, just, uh, you know, the, the fun police uh, is here. So, I don't think a, a game can be called obscure just because it's old. Uh, I mean, right. well, Wolfenstein, uh, Wolfenstein is not an obscure game. Um, but it depends. It's, I, it, it's it really does depend. today. It wasn't obscure in the day. Wolfenstein 3D is not obscure, but again. 30 years after the fact, you know? I don't know. I, I, w- I would argue that, yeah, and, and, you know, Brian, I think that's what you're saying, too, is that, you know, this game, given Wolfenstein 3D, has become obscure because no one thinks of this one when you say Wolfenstein. I don't know many people have played the original Wolfenstein, honestly. I never have, to be honest. Yeah, have I suppose, you, I suppose, oh, sorry? Have you guys played it? Uh, no, never. And neither have hey. I, so I, mean, I guess that counts as obscure. <laughs> All four of us haven't played it, <laughs> But, but, but we know of it. Yeah. But that's that's because we know the history of Wolfenstein. Actually, this is this is one point we kind of skipped over in the definition of obscure. Is it obscure in you know for today, or was it obscure when it came out? Like Diamond the Rough would kind yeah. of suggest that uh, it was a game that didn't get any attention. I think right. the latter, because uh, what's the point of talking about games that are obscure today? You know, 30, 40 years after the fact, it's it's almost meaningless to discuss. You know, yeah, sure, no one around today has played it. Well, of course they didn't. They weren't, you know, gamers necessarily 30 years ago. So that's just beside the point. I think talking about games that, uh, you know, kind of flew under the radar as they came out, you know, in context, that is a much more interesting... Um, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, either way. But uh, so, so what else have we got then? Well, I got a question there. We're talking about obscure games then. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't, nobody I know has ever played this, and it's... Um, so I don't know. Have you have you guys played Zork Nemesis? I've heard of it. Again, because my, my fascination was always in um, first person. This had almost nothing to do with the original Zork, um, but it was a 360 degree view first person adventure game. Um, I'm sharing it right now. It also had this horrible thing where when it was doing full motion video, it had these lines. Oh, the interlacing. Uh, interlacing. Yeah. The interlacing video can go 
itself. And if you watch it, when it, trans- when it transitions from interlace, from the full motion video to the gameplay again, you know, it gets much brighter. Like, here's the FMV, and it's going to go to gameplay. <laughs> all those lines mm-hmm. go away, and it's brighter. And that transition was very jarring in the game, and it, and it did actually pretty decent use of the full motion video for being as early as it was in its time. Um, they get a lot of people cool. know the name Zork, but I don't know of anybody else besides me again who played Zork Nemesis. And me and a buddy, we would. This is a game we'd play together, where one person would be at the helm, but we'd all be trying to solve the puzzles together. Um, and again, that was weird with all my other games, first-person adventure games. I don't know why, but it really got me into it. And this game, I think, could transition into um, you know VR. I'm really big into trying to find good VR games now. I've got that uh, um, Gear VR headset. Oh, cool! And Quake Gear VR is um, oh god, I love playing that in VR. And you have to stand up and spin around, and it works good for the headset <laughs> that doesn't have any cords because you can spin and spin all you want. Please do a video of you just standing in a room with this blocky thing on your head. My wife uh, <laughs> switched a job. She's at another. She's a manager at a hotel, and she switched to a different hotel. And while she was interviewing, I was standing out in um, just the grass underneath a tree in the parking lot. Just spinning around playing, uh, you know, Quake VR. But Zork Nemesis has uh, where you can look up and down and stuff, and left and right in a lot of the scenes. And I'd love to see, you know, a first-person adventure like that. And the movement where you click and you're immediately in the next spot actually works good for not getting motion sickness in VR games. And that's it's again this kind of game, just like with Mist and stuff, where you know there wasn't really a good transition video like um, uh, Seventh Guest had. Mm-hmm. Which I, another reason why I love Seventh Guest, but that's definitely not a diamond in the rough. Um, this game didn't have those transitions. You'd look at a certain area, and then the icon would show you that you could travel to that area, and then you would you click on it, you'd instantly be there. But that, did you, did you ask your wife if if in her interview they asked, uh, do you know that man outside? in the field spinning around in circles. No, because she specifically wouldn't let me stand where... Because I told her what I was going to do. She's like, nope, you're not doing it over here. That's the hotel. you got to go around back. So, yeah, no, she's very clear that that was not going to be something she wanted people to, to see. Her, her husband looked like an idiot with a phone strap to his face. <laughs> I mean, we, we had... We, had uh, we, we were at a pub um, maybe like six months ago or something, and one of my friends... Work for uh, works for a company that does VR stuff. So he had his mobile phone with the the VR thing um, with him, and all of a sudden you've got these six people in a pub sitting with this thing, like taking turns with this thing, just knocking over beer bottles, and uh, you know, it was that was that was an interesting evening. <laughs> well, sorry about um, the VR tangent there, but um... no, no, but I, and and Zork Nemesis is an interesting one. Like I haven't. Played it myself. I've definitely heard of it. I think it's even available on on GOG. Yes, it is. I, I, that's that. Well, I can't guarantee. And that. again, and again, this kind of skirts on the obscure part because Zork is, you know, one Massive. of the yeah. adventure game, you know, granddaddies. Everyone has heard of Zork if they're into adventure games. But Zork Nemesis. I mean, I've, I've read about it. It's it's kind of the black sheep of the Zork series, if I'm not mistaken, because yeah. it kind of has this dark, uh, sinister tone about it that was absent from the other Zork games. Or am I mistaken? Oh, you're absolutely right, and it's it, it is based in the mythology of Zork, but it, it has nothing to do plot-wise with the other games, you know. So you're not missing out anything. But yeah, it definitely has you know dark plots. But I mean, it also has classic traditional RPG elements, like there's a um, right here where you have to cut an ice um, icicle down into a bowl 
and then melt the icicle to get the water for the next puzzle. So it is definitely a point-and-click adventure at its core. But it's got, you know, again, here we go again, that interlaced video that is just... Oh, uh, my God. Venetian blind vision. Exactly, exactly. This so. is why I stopped... Play, this is why I didn't play Gabriel Knight 2 for more than, you know, three or four hours at a time. But when I was with them, I was just... I was seeing lines, like horizontal lines everywhere. Oops, yeah, sorry. You, you, went, you went all robot-y for a second there, but... Oh, think, sorry. Yeah, you're back now, so that's all good. Did you repeat that, though? I didn't hear you. It sounded interesting. Uh, just uh, That's why I didn't play Gabriel Knight 2 for more than three or four hours straight, because whenever I looked up from Gabriel Knight 2, I was just I would have, like, horizontal lines along my, you know, um, along my vision just looking everywhere, and that was... Yes, and I know it was another, another one of the many, many, many things wrong with uh, Privateer 2. I love, and, uh, indeed, I love the yeah. CD system I had, but it had, you know, its video was all horribly interlaced too. And, and there was that whole era for all these games we're talking about where we barely had enough technology to pretend to do FMV. And uh, I think that's what killed FMV. I think if we had waited, you know, a couple more generations of tech to get to where it could be, you know, as good as video can be incorporated into games now, I think full motion video games would be a lot better. Um, they're at least more better received, but they just got such a bad mm. reputation because of these older games. Yeah, actually, speaking of, speaking of, here's one of my diamond in the roughs. I'm just gonna screen share this bitch here. Um, there you go. Is bitch a swear jar word? I don't know. Ah, uh, no, no. We're, we're going by uh, uh, American K, uh, American network television rules. Uh, so the word things you can't say on TV, right? Bitch, damn, hell, and uh, bastard, and. <coughs> Uh, all, all those ass is also good. Anyway, guess a game. So that that qualifies as obscure because I've only ever heard about it from you, I think, on the backseat designers. So, really, this is this is Black Dahlia by Take Two. Now everyone remembers uh, Ripper, uh, mm-hmm. which was their previous game. Uh, also, a big huge FMV title really? came on six CDs, starred Christopher Walken in the role of his life. Um, but this one, Black Dahlia, came afterwards. It takes up, are you ready for this, eight goddamn CDs. It's oh. the biggest FMV game I've ever seen. And um, it is actually very well researched. It takes place in the 1940s. It's very re- well researched. It has a very interesting story and completely impossible fucking puzzles. Sorry. <laughs> it looks like the frame rate's about two. Actually, the frame rate's pretty good over here. Maybe it's just my connection pooping itself. Uh, this is how you move around. Uh, it is node-based, but it's a 360-degree node-based, so that was a transition, and now you can look around, and there he goes. Um, which, uh, and, and all the rooms are incredibly detailed, uh, and the puzzles are of the pen and paper variety. I mean, you have the first puzzle is you have to decode a phone number, and you get like a list of phone numbers, and it's all encrypted. And you have to, and I was stuck for ages until I printed out a walkthrough and went through the game. And even with a walkthrough, the game is huge. I mean, eight CDs huge, but right. huge. Like, and it, it spans like a couple of decades in you know in game time. And yeah, like Dahlia, uh, which is a diamond in the rough because no one gave a crap about Take Two's adventure games after Ripper because Ripper was uh, it was hilarious and unintentionally so because it was supposed to be this serious cyberpunk adventure game, and it was just freaking hilarious. Uh, Black Dahlia is actually a very, very good story, a very good game. The acting is pretty good. Dennis Hopper's in it for about five minutes, and of course he gets top billing. Um, but it, it's actually a really, really good adventure game. 
And it's not like the puzzles are unfair. They're just really, really hard. This is one of the hardest games I've ever played. So has, has anyone ever touched Black Dahlia? I've only ever heard of it, and I remember seeing ads for it, but I've never played it myself. And that's probably because I had a bit of an aversion to FMV games because I thought they were crappy. <laughs> Well, I'm, watching, I'm watching now in mine where it's the, the frame rate looks smooth, and that this does look like like if this had been a first full motion game, uh, I think it would have done a lot better because it it is smooth, the resolution is acceptable, the color is acceptable. You know, it doesn't look like it's being you know put through 50 filters. Nope, it is, it is, like, and and they got motion control camera whenever he like like here where it, where it pans up and down. That was hard. That was hard to do back in the uh, back in the 90s. Um, and this this almost qualifies because this this uh, does run on Windows 95. Um, I think it was made for Windows 95, uh, so it does qualify into Joe's uh, parameters for the show. Yeah. And uh, and it actually is a really good game. And it, like like Joe, people are turned off because they see FMB and they think, oh well, it's going to be crap, isn't it? It's going to be Phantasmagoria all over again. Um, and no, it's it's extraordinarily hard. It doesn't hold your hand at all, at all but it is a good game. So, so is there, that that's... green screen background, or is that actual set? Because the transition... Green screen. Okay, good. I, I assume because the transition between gameplay and uh, and the FMV parts is really smooth. It is, and and, and like I said, they got motion control camera, uh, so you know they, they can pan and stuff, which is something. If you've noticed all the uh, green screen FMV games like Under a Killing Moon um, and and such, they 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 don't pan the camera because you know. Uh, motion control back in the 90s was really expensive, but for, they they did it with Black Dahlia, and it looks really, really good, actually. So, Tomer, does this count? And also, frankly... Yeah, go ahead, Tomer. What do you think? I'm in the rough. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I've never even heard of it, uh, with the exception of uh, from Trolls here, so I guess that, that qualifies as pretty obscure in my book. And uh, it seems to be, you know, I don't know if it's a good game, or, but... It, it certainly seems very, very uh, well designed. I don't know. It gets it gets a recommendation from me. It's very well researched. There's a lot of research that went into this. Uh, you got you're you're uh, you're hunting the torso killer, which was a real killer in the Chicago area, I believe. Um, he uh, only the, kills torsos. <laughs> no, he cut people's hats off. Um, and the actual Black Dahlia was an actress who uh, famously committed suicide or something. She's in the game for about you know two seconds. I have no idea why the game is actually called Black Dahlia, because it has very, very little, if nothing, to do with the Black Dahlia. It has <laughs> to do with supernatural Nazis instead, <laughs> which is which is always fun. Uh, but anyway, it, it, do check out Black Dahlia. I, I really hope this game uh, gets re-released. Uh, do you guys know the YouTuber Ikifu? Does a point yeah, and click. Yeah. Uh, good old Iki. Um, he, he did a video where he tried to get Black Dahlia running because getting Black Dahlia to run these days is a bit of a bitch. It's a Windows 95 game, and it is yeah. not happy with, uh, <laughs> with uh, Windows 10 or Windows 7 or anything. Anything that's not Windows 95, really. Yeah, and I mean, if we want to stay in, uh, in FMV games, there's, there's one that I covered on the show, uh, Spycraft. Oh, yeah. I, I've been meaning to get into this because it... it it didn't, you know, sound like a um, point-and-click adventure when you when you were talking about it, uh, until you, you basically flat out said it is a point-and-click adventure. Yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways it's not, and in a lot of ways it is, because, I mean, really, it's it's more like a series of... it's sort. Of, see, it's not a puzzle game, but it's not quite 
a point-and-click adventure game. Like, it, it's kind of a combination of both. Because really what you do is, yes, you, you progress through a world and you interact with people and all that stuff like you do in my very generic, you know, <laughs> explanation of an adventure game. But really the way you go through the game is by figuring things out using computer programs that are issued to you as you need them on your CIA computer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, but, but, but it's very cool. Minecraft <laughs> was uh, very, very famous when it came out. I mean, it, uh, it was definitely widely regarded and widely distributed. I mean, I remember seeing it in boxes in Israel, so... Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing it and hearing about it, but to me, I kind of feel like it came at the tail end of FMV when no one really cared anymore. Oh, yeah. I certainly didn't, and never heard of it uh, until you brought it up on your show, and I th- and just went, "Wow, how come I never heard of this?" Because I actually quite like FMV games, even the even the terrible ones like Phantasmagoria. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, this one is not terrible. And Joe, isn't this your most viewed YouTube video? Yes, this is absolutely yes. This is actually my YouTube video, and this is my most viewed YouTube video because there are no, virtually no let's plays of this game on YouTube. And by most views, we're talking by a lot. Right. Yeah, what does it have now? Something like 1,800 views, which for me is, you know, it's not a million views, but my normal videos have like 50 views kind of a thing. Well, Probably. In Probably. the grand scheme of things, the maybe small numbers for us. Like I tell my kids, like, yeah, you know, I'm on YouTube. You know, we do the upper memory block. And, and my kids looked up and like, really? 150 views? It's like, I'm sorry, I'm not PewDiePie. <laughs> I'm like, hey, that, that's, that's 149 more views than you have, honey. So Exactly. <laughs> and, and the cool thing about this game is it actually does feature, uh, I can't remember their names now, but a former head of the CIA and a former head of the KGB. Mm, kept in separate rooms, of course. Of course. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna turn on the lights and get a beer. So mm. I got a question for you, um, and I and I want to go over this. I think we should have done this with all of our games. Is um, do you know if you're if that game uh, Spycraft? I know you said in your podcast. Is it available? Yeah, this is on GOG. Absolutely. I just shared for my favorite game that I shared with you is when I started off with Labyrinth of Time, and I didn't talk about it much. Because um, it's just hard to describe. This is really something you need to see a video on. But it's on Steam. Uh, it's on Good Old Games. It's six bucks on both of those. And then it's also on uh, iOS, actually. For, oh, cool. For uh, $3.99. It's got an, an iPad version that's a little bit uh, more enhanced. And you can get it on the iPhone, too, and iPod Touch. But it's, I think both versions are $3.99. Um, <clears throat> and it's a game that really, I guess, it's hard to describe. But if, if you like any adventure games at all, I really suggest giving it a play someday. I know, Joe, you're, you know, you've got a, a whole backlog of games to play, but um, to me, this is a the, when you said Diamond in the Rough, Labyrinth of Time is the game that popped out of my head instantly because it's a game that I truly love playing and I could go back and play over and over again. That seems simple, but the simplicity of it really helps it be more playable. Like I said, the fact that you're playing on a grid, um, you know, each each room is really a cell just on a on a gridded out map, but even that, there's, I would say, time warp points where it, it's still not just a perfect grid. Like one spot, you could you could basically do a circle on the grid, and you're not going to get back to where you are. You're going to end up back in a different time zone, or not a time zone, but you know, time period. Oh, interesting. Um, <clears throat> um, I, I had a one friend who played it too, and that's literally it. The only people I've ever known who's actually even heard of this game. So at least. You know, the other games we mentioned, you know, everybody's heard of this one. This is one that I 
I've never found, you know, besides one guy that's heard of it. But the fact that it made it to iOS uh, and Steam and good old games means that, you know, there's got to be people out there somewhere that thought it was worth. Yeah, someone thought it was worth it, or, or at least some, you know, developer thought that people would like it or something. Yeah, so so on that note, um, other games you guys have mentioned, do you know the availabilities on them? Uh, well, Round 43 certainly is not available uh, anywhere at all, ever. Uh, we abandoned the sites. I don't even know about Black Dahlia because it is, um, like I said, eight CDs. I don't think it's on GOG. I thought it might be, actually. Let's see. Uh, Googling it right now. Oh, holy shit, it is. Yeah, which means it's probably also somewhat, you know, patched, patched, so it'll actually work. Uh, wait, no, it's on the community wish list. Uh, it's not actually not on the DOG thing. Okay, see, so Ripper is, but Black Dahlia is not. That's oh no, not. Ripper is also on the wish list. Yeah, it's not wish there. Excuse me, because I'll search for things, and just like you, I'll see a good old good old games link for that game, and I'm like, yes, they have it, and it's just a bunch of people saying, hey, please get it. <laughs> I wonder if they haven't been able to get the Take-Two stuff. Pro, I mean, Take-Two kind of... What, what, whatever happened to Take-Two? I mean, they did those two adventure games uh, and put a lot of time and effort into it. They owned Legend Entertainment, and then they got, I don't know, bought up or just folded, or what happened? They still have a website, but they probably are owned by somebody. Probably Activision. It's always uh, Activision. Yeah, let's see here. Key people, blah, blah, blah. I think... Wait. Oh, no, Take-Two is big. No, Take-Two owns Firaxis, 2K Sports, Rockstar North. They're a pretty big freaking publisher nowadays. Yeah, they're still around. Okay, so they probably just don't give a crap. Can yeah, you still yeah, screw you, Gog. <laughs> Can you st I mean, I, I would love a version of Black Dahlia where you didn't have to change CD every five fucking moments. Um, there you go. So can I pick up the next one? Yeah, a, absolutely. Sure. This is a game for you um, that I doubt. Has anyone here heard of Chrono Master? Yes. Not Chrono Trigger, Chrono Master. No. I feel like I <laughs> may have heard of it, but I know nothing about it. So I'll, let, let me share my screen for a second, and you'll, you'll get a glimpse of why it's so incredible that no one has ever heard of this game. <laughs> what, dedicated to the memory of who? Roger Zelazny. It was actually written by Roger Zelazny and Jane Linskold, so two, you know, of the kind of our generation's kind of foremost sci-fi authors, uh, which is one reason why it's incredible that no one has ever heard of this game. Uh, the other reason is, let me look it up for you. Here we go. Ron Perlman, Brent Spiner. Oh, holy wow. crap. Yeah. So, uh, oh, shit, sorry. Anyway, quite a few uh, big-name actors. Brent Spiner uh, is playing kind of the bad guy, I guess. Ron Perlman is doing a good guy. Uh, I think this might very well be Ron Perlman's first uh, computer game credit because it came before Fallout did, mm -hmm. uh, I think. But uh, in this neither is before War Never Changes. Uh, yes. In either case, this is uh, actually an adventure game uh, and a pretty uh, obscure one. Uh, which deals with the concept of time and pocket universes. I mean, it's pretty hardcore sci-fi uh, in terms of storytelling. And it's also uh, really, really fantastically good, but incredibly difficult. 
Oh, it's uh, got that uh, that's interplay-ish uh, 3D uh, pre-rendered 3D graphics. This very sort of stilted, kind of blocky, but high-res uh, super yeah, VGA. Yeah, it's, it's got it's got a little bit of all of that actually. So this is just uh, part one of the walkthrough. It's a huge game. And it's very, very beautiful and very, very interesting. Um, Especially for if it's it's 95, if I'm reading there properly. Uh, 95, 96, something like that. Uh, yeah. Are so, you sure Interplay didn't do this? It looks an awful lot like an Interplay game. Uh, it's Dreamforge Entertainment, I think. Yeah, that, that's what it said in the video description, but it just it just screams Interplay at me. <laughs> I'm here with the Polish uh, Polish version of Computer Owa Gra Sorry, my Polish is Greatest country. <laughs> Glory to our Stotska. Uh, Sorry, I've been, I've been watching a lot of Jack Septiga. It was actually published by Capstone, so uh, nope, no interplay involved. But anyway, um, yeah, so as I was saying, it's an adventure game. It's hardcore sci-fi. It's very long, very involved, very interesting, very well done. It has issues. It does. Uh, but it is overall one of the more kind of an imaginative and unusual games uh, I ever got to play. Uh, I need so, to look this baby up. It, it yeah. looks like it's right up my alley. Well, I it's, definitely recognize the box art. I have seen this box art um, on shelves and stuff. With, when I saw the box art, I'm like, okay, I, I at least... I'm somewhat aware of this game. Yeah, well, you're you know one of the few because uh, it it just literally went under the radar for pretty much everyone. Yeah, uh, I've never heard of this before. Yeah, no, so me neither. So my brother is a huge sci-fi nerd, and uh, he bought this game way back when, and I didn't even like I'd never heard of it or anything. But uh, yeah, I played throughout it at least twice. It's really, really very good. I mean, it's just unusual as hell. Uh, very now. Has anyone seen this? I don't know if you can... Yeah, I just saw it. Holy... Again, it screams interplay at me. I don't know, but apparently <laughs> uh, uh, some something something on the way to the space station Mercury is very absent from this one. Yeah. And this is item very three... Pure, by the way. <laughs> this is item three... This is item three on my, like, 30-item list, so I'm <laughs> really trying to, to pick out the, the really uh, good one. <laughs> well, this one definitely classifies as uh, obscure. Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I need. To, uh, how about availability? Or as Joe would say, where can we get Chrono Master today? today? Well, you can basically get fucked because the company does not exist. <laughs> the last knee died, and no one has ever heard of this game. And you know, I, I kind of hope that uh, that I find my CD rip because the CD probably doesn't work anymore. It's been twenty odd years, and uh, yeah, single CD game. It's um, maybe. Two, I don't rightly remember, actually. I mean, it's it's an adventure game, as I said. It doesn't have a whole lot of uh, um, FMV sequences or anything, so it actually does fit on, on one or two CDs. But, uh, yeah, it's it's obscure, but it's great. I mean, uh, where can you find it today? Through the magic of Google and uh, illegal software piracy, basically. And if you really want it from eBay, they, it looks like you can get it for about 20 to $30. Oh, totally worth it. Oh, speaking of, uh, th this, this was not on my list, but this game kind of reminds me of uh, Return to Ringworld, which I guess is not really an obscure game, but uh, the only reason I know about it is because Ken Allen uh, got drunk in my living room and showed it to me. <laughs> and that Did was he an do the music on that one? 
he did the music and the design. He actually What's designed. Uh, I, I didn't know he was a game designer, and he did that for for Interplay. Um, Wasn't that uh, sort of a spiritual successor in a way to Loom? Oh, sorry, what? Uh, I think I, I've heard of it as being kind of a spiritual successor to Loom. To Loom. Yeah, I don't know. I might be talking out of my ass, but that's what I remember. Return to Ring no, Ringworld is the uh, Larry Niven universe where, you know, it's a world and it has rings. And, uh, well, the, the entire world is a ring. And uh, it's it's based in that universe. So, um, And there was a game before that which was called If anything, it sounds like it was the, the precursor to Halo. <laughs> I could, yeah. Halo basically ripped off the Ringworld universe. Anyway, I've, I've read the first Ringworld book. It's really good. I'm not much of a book reader, so I didn't get into the 16,000 other Ringworld novels. But uh, because uh, Ken Allen uh, designed this game, uh, I, you know, had to play it. And it is very, very sci-fi heavy. And <laughs> it's it's got its moments, and then it's got its really, really what the hell were you thinking, Ken moments. It's got a it's got a labyrinth with spooky zombies, and no one I've I've never seen zombies in the ring world setting. But anyway, anyway, go, uh, again, that's that's another. Uh, the reason I brought this up actually is because Tomer said, um, you know, uh, go find a pirated copy, and I've got the designer sitting in my living room drinking scotch and telling me to go find it on an abandoned website. I have the designer's permission to pirate his game. So, so that makes it legal, right? That makes it okay, at least. <laughs> he just said, you have my explicit permission to pirate the hell out of this. And I'm like, okay, fine. So that's Ringworld, right? Return, return to Ringworld. Because there are, there are two Ringworld games. I don't remember what the other one's called, and the other one was not his, but Return to Ringworld was an Allen's. Okay, awesome. so next? I think you've got the biggest list there, Tomer. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, well, it's not the size that counts. Anyway, uh, <laughs> right. so next on my list, uh, there's one. Uh, it's called Death Rally, uh, which you, you might know from uh, uh, a modern-day remake that someone uh, someone's done for whatever reason. So hold on, let me find a video. Uh, I feel like I've heard about this one. Yeah, it's, it's not called Rally, it's Death Rally. It's an arcade car racing game, basically, um, and a very good one. Oh, here we go. Uh, yeah, so this is the video. That's crap, blah, 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 some more crap. Basically, it looks like this. Oh, it's Micro Machines all over again. It's, uh, or it's uh, GTA. It's somewhat similar in a way to Micro Machines, and actually um, it's got more in common with Micro Machines than you might expect, seeing as both uh, both games were basically made by demo sceners. Um, but this is uh, a little-known fact. This is actually Remedy Entertainment's first game. Oh, really? Yeah, really? before Spain, before uh, Alan Wake, or the, the Quantum Break, whatever the hell it's called thing. Uh, this oh. was the first game they did. And it's Demodulate, is gonna, Demodulate is going to shit himself. He loves Remedy games. Yeah, this is a, a really, really awesome game, actually. It's uh, it's an arcade racer. Uh, it's got more to do with uh, uh, Death Race uh, from way back. It's, uh, it's, got, it's got Carmageddon written all over it. Yeah, it's got uh, really, really good graphics, amazing music by... Uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce his name. He's Finnish, for fuck's sake. Jonne uh, Valtonen. Uh, who's also known as uh, Purple Motion, wrote the music for us. Uh, Ooh, uh, really? The PC demo. 
Yeah, Purple so Dungeon is, is a legend. Yes. Uh, so he did the music, and somehow this game was just, you know, no one ever heard of it or noticed it or played it uh, for whatever it, it reason. Is. Actually, it looks like Micro Machines meets Carmageddon. That is what it looks like. I played the crap out of Micro Machines. At least, was that NES or Super NES? I mean, I'm sure no, there was a... I played the crap out of Micro Machines, too. I nearly, you know, killed my kid brother over Micro Machines, too. <laughs> yeah, I can I can understand that. Never having a kid brother, I was the kid brother, so... Um, Same here. <laughs> I probably had, had my ass handed to me any number of times. So anyway, yeah, this is a this is a really really good game. It's actually uh, uh, highly recommended. Uh, you know, like I said, great music, great graphics, just fun to play. Don't bother with the modern remake because it's not as fun. And uh, the original DOS game is actually I'm not sure if it's uh, open source or freeware nowadays, so you can actually get it. You know, trivially, uh, and it just runs on Windows natively. Brian uh, just uh, pasted in the uh, chat that you can get Death Rally Classic on Steam. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure you can get it without paying for it anywhere. Really, um, <laughs> I mean. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's that's a pretty good one. So that's uh, another one off my list. I'll I'll pass the baton to someone else. That actually that segues nicely into one that I had, and I've actually had this one queued up for a while, but we were on adventure games and such. Uh, this is a nice segue. If I can take the next one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if this quite fits into uh, uh, you know the criteria for Joe's show, but it is a racing game, uh, and it was made for, I believe, Windows 95, maybe a little later. It is... Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. Roll Cage. Roll Cage. Haven't heard of this one. Never. It's basically, no. um, it's 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 kind of Super Mario Kart ish. I mean, you're watching this on uh, uh, on Google Hangouts, so the frame rate is obviously awful. But it's a really really fast game, and the uh, conceit of this game is uh, uh, that you can your your car can can flip on its side and still keep going. So you know, um, even if you flip on on your roof, you can still keep going, and you can go up walls. In fact, oh, so you don't just randomly blow up if you flip over. <laughs> No, if you flip over, you still keep going. And the cars are very, very enthusiastic about going. Uh, in, in just a second, he's going to go in a tunnel, I think. And, uh, and, it, and you can basically drive up the wall of the tunnel. And it, Like, look, there's explosions everywhere. And it's got the Super Mario Kart because you can pick up these, um, these power-ups. You can shoot missiles and shit at your opponents. Um, and it's a really, really fun multiplayer game, as you could... I mean, uh, I, I love the I love Super Mario Kart to death, and this is just this is fantastic. And it does this thing where if if you go really really fast, the uh, field of vision, the FOV, kind of like uh, like flips out, so it goes from like 90 FOV to 140 FOV if you go really fast. So it, it oh, looks sort of like a pullback kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You ever, you ever played Quake and set the FOV to 140? <laughs> Fun. I always do that. Um, and yeah, this this game does exactly that. So, cool. Roll Cage, really, really fun game. Uh, really, really good multiplayer game. If you can get IPX to work, obviously. Have you heard of Grip? I have, I just, when I was looking up this video, I just saw that someone is doing a modern-day Roll Cage, and it's called Grip. I didn't know of it until, like, 30 minutes ago. They um, claim it's by the same devs, so I don't know. You know, sometimes the same devs means the guy who drew the grass bitmap, you know, is working on this game. It's like, my name was in the credits. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. The looks like it, you know, is true to heart. So, 
I got I gotta look this up. I, I I haven't looked at it. Like I said, I didn't know it existed until thirty minutes ago. Um, I posted the original it on Steam. Cage. access on Steam. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, Actually, the, the, look, 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 he's going to go in a tunnel. Please go up the wall. Please go up the wall. There you go. Well, that's you cool. Really, yeah, and, and, you know, there are speed boosters on the roof of the tunnel, and this guy is not good at playing this game. <laughs> yeah, I actually played quite a bit of Roll Page back in the day. It's a great game. Uh, highly recommend it. I don't know that I would call it obscure necessarily, but it's definitely a diamond in the rough because mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like high octane back in the day. It's just... You know, straightforward and fun. You know, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It doesn't try to do too many things. It just works. High octane might just be considered another kind of racing diamond and rough as well. Uh, while we're on the subject, never heard of diamond. Uh, sorry, never heard of uh, high octane actually. It's a bullfrog game. Uh, so I'm kind of surprised you haven't heard about it actually. But let's let's see if I can find it. Oh yeah, because I'm the bullfrog historian. Well, I'm the bullfrog historian. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, turning on my lights did nothing, did it? <laughs> it got darker, if anything. Yeah. Okay, let me let me bring up high octane so you'll know what uh, kind of what it's like. Yeah, options, blah blah blah. Here we go. Oh, hello, first person view. Just a really uh, well done three D. And you can tell that it's 97, and you can tell that it's software rendered because uh, there's no perspective corrected texture mapping and shit. But it just plays really, really well. Mm. Right, and it's got kind of like the, uh, the the magic carpet kind of very close uh, yeah, draw distance. Uh, yeah, the draw distance is uh, is minimized. I, I think it's actually a bit big, like a bit further away on different stages, but it's intentionally low so that. Uh, you know, the game plays really, really smoothly on, like, a Pentium. Mm -hmm. um, what was it they played back in the day? I think it was probably a Pentium 166 or something. Uh, and it played really smoothly. And it's given that it's Bullfrog, this probably probably is the Magic Carpet engine. Uh, probably not. I mean, they had a whole bunch of, uh, you know, 3D games that were only loosely related in terms of engines. You have Magic Carpet, and then you have Syndicate World. Um, you know, these kind of derive from the same code base, but each one of them has been customized so heavily that it, you know, you can't really call it the same engine. Anymore. Right, it's not the Magic Carpet engine. It's it, There's some code in there that was probably also in Magic Carpet. Yeah, Actually, that, was, that was the most heartbreaking thing about the Magic Carpet episode that Joe did when he was talking about how they had to reduce the draw distance and which basically killed the... Right, <laughs> you know, they the, had this amazing, incredible guy. game, and then they just, like, wrecked it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. spe speaking speaking of, uh, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt. Just uh, you know, speaking of Roll Cage, uh, it's it's also one of those games that uh, ran in 3D accelerated mode. Uh, but uh, my old 486 uh, 66 megahertz computer could run it flawlessly. Um, oh, and Tomer just fucked off. <laughs> just for a second. Uh, but uh, probably because I interrupted him because I'm a rude and callous person. Stupid um, trolls! I'm leaving. <laughs> Screw that! I'm, I'm off. No, but actually, uh, Roll Cage was one of those games because uh, back when I got my first first 3D accelerator, I couldn't. You know, I, th there weren't that many games that could actually run on my computer. But Roll Cage ran perfectly. It's not a very intensive game, and mm. it uh, you know, uh, you know, it's it's a good game. So I don't I don't think it ever ran in software mode though. Hmm. 
Okay, well, since he uh, uh, buggered off, um, let's see what else I got on my list. <laughs> Does Grand Theft Auto 2 count as Batman in the Rough? Uh, London? The London game? I See, I would oh. say that any Grand Theft Auto oh, game before not. GTA 3 is probably... Um, yeah, I know, the rough. <laughs> I know uh, a few people I've talked to have played it, but I used to have a group of uh, techs I'd play with when I worked at a computer shop, and we would take over the computer shop at night bring our PCs in, do the classic LAN party with um, Grand Theft Auto 2. It's I, I'm sorry, you cannot, cannot uh, sit there and tell me with a straight face that Grand Theft Auto counts as, you know... Have you ever played Grand Theft Auto 2? What's that? Have you ever played Grand Theft Auto 2? Yeah, I did. Okay. Everyone knows what it is. Uh, okay. So but I guess the question is, did you hear of Grand Theft Auto before GTA 3? Of course. I played the first one quite extensively, and it was incredibly popular everywhere. It was big. It's kind of mm -hmm. like played Carmageddon. Well, of course you did. It was everywhere. You ever do? I'm, I'm going to go with Tomer here. I'm going to go with Tomer. It, it that is that is not a diamond in the rough. That was just a diamond. <laughs> it was pretty good. So has anyone played a multiplayer? Uh, well, no, I haven't actually played, played it. But... <laughs> have you? Have you, Tomer? Have you played the multiplayer? Yeah, a tiny bit. It was never my thing with GTA, to be honest. The more players you got, the more fun it was, because, you know, running around the, the city top-down, just trying to run yeah, each other over and stuff. Yeah, it was, it was great. So how about I say GTA 2 multiplayer is my there you go. rough. Let's be specific. I never played the single player, actually. I only played the multiplayer. Well, that was like me with, uh, and this is definitely not a diamond in the rough, uh, GoldenEye on the N64. N64, is that right? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I never played the single player of, of that game. I only ever played a multiplayer. If you ever cover Grand Theft Auto, would you cover the, the classic ones? I think I would probably only cover the classic ones. There you go. <laughs> I'm try, trying to picture Grand Theft Auto 3 in DOS. Like, <laughs> how, would, how would it look like in, in, in you know, uh, Stage 1 Direct 3D? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would probably look a bit like Tech War. So, yeah. um, I have no one like, laughed. <laughs> yeah, because it was such a depressing joke. Because it's true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have like 20 games on my list, but there's two that I really, really, really want to get through. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And just go, you know, fuck it. But uh, here, here's one for you. Let's go. Uh, let's go a little bit uh, back in time and uh, into a completely different genre. Has anyone here played a game called Nuclear War? No. Nuclear War, New World Computing. I feel not like I've heard thermo, of it. Thermonuclear War. No, no, That's it's not from war games. Nuclear War, but it's definitely <laughs> somewhat inspired by. Uh, so here's How about a nice game of chess? Here's Would a you screen. like to play a game? <laughs> here's a screen share for you. Uh, this is a game from 1989, originally on the Amiga, but the PC version is actually very, very good, uh, even on CGA. You what the hell is going on? <laughs> you play as one of uh, you, you play against four other uh, dictators, basically, or, or Fidel uh, Castro. I like it. World leaders. Gandhi. Gandhi <laughs> or PM Satcher, all sorts of weird shit, uh, and you just basically wage nuclear war on one another. So it's a turn-based game. Every turn you get one action. You can basically uh, build your stockpile, um, deploy a missile or a bomber. The difference being that bombers have a, um, 
you know, they can be used for a number of turns but have a total yield um, that, you know, once you're done with it, then you need to replace the bomber. Missiles can only be used once, obviously. Uh, you build some weapons, you uh, launch some weapons, you, uh, you can do a propaganda blitz against your enemies to try and get their uh, um, population to leave for you. And basically, it's a, it's a last-man-standing kind of game. You basically blow shit up, and there's random events. You know, a stork might just drop a baby boom on one of your cities and make it grow. There's all sorts of weird shit that, that goes on in this game. Um, and it's actually... I like, I like the dot matrix printer at the bottom. Yeah, yeah it's... Whatever it's it is. Um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's a teleprinter, basically. Yeah. Uh, so the, the thing about this, uh, this game, beyond it, just being really, really, really fun to play is it's so damn simple. You can basically play the whole thing with like one button, and uh, basically any pointing device, like a pen or a stylus or a touch thing or whatnot. So I actually started uh, uh, reverse engineering this game a while back, uh, so that I can rebuild it for what was at the time Windows Mobile 2005, um, and I lost everything in a hard drive crash. So that. Because this seems like an ideal mobile game. Yeah, it's 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 such an awesome game. It's just completely casual. A game in this thing takes like maybe ten minutes in total, maybe fifteen if you're lazy, and it just works and it's funny as hell. There's you know there's aliens that come in and possibly impregnate your population. <laughs> <laughs> there's just weird shit going on. It's it's such a funny game. It's beautiful. Um, highly recommend it. I don't know. I think it was pretty obscure for the day because I've I've never, never heard of it. I've never heard of this before in my life. Yeah, it does. It does, however, segue nicely into one that I just remembered. I didn't even have this on my list, uh, but uh, I did already ramble on extensively about it uh, on the uh, Square Waves FM podcast. I actually did. I think I think it was Square Waves FM. Anyway, um, they had one of these. Uh, Tell me your you know obscure game, and I called up a friend of mine, and we had a thirty minute chat about uh, this game that I am about to show you. Have you ever heard of Cyber Empires or Steel Empire? It was called Cyber Empires in the U.S. and it's called Steel Empire in uh, in uh, Denmark and Europe. Yeah, <laughs> I've run into this at one point or another, but I. Like, I remember the title screen, but I really, really don't remember anything about the game. This is phenomenal. It's basically Risk with an, uh, a top-down arcade shooter attached to it. Uh, you've, got this, you've got this world map right here, and it's the same world map every single time. And you've got uh, a number of players. I think you can have up to six uh, players, and it's turn-based. Um, which is really weird because it has this fog of war option, and uh, if you're playing, because uh, you know it doesn't have network play, it's a DOS it's game. Like, it's so hot seat. Yeah, it's, it's it's hot seat. So you basically have to tell your opponent to uh, look away. I'm doing my shit right now. Uh, there you go. Um, but anyway, uh, it's um, it's 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 like Risk in that you start off on your own continent and you have to plant a flag. That means you now own the continent and you can draw taxes from it and you can build cyborgs if you build the factory, of course. And then you move the cyborgs around the map, and if another player is in the continent you're moving into, then it turns into... Let's see if he ever actually gets to the combat bit. Uh, doesn't actually look like he gets into the uh, um, combat simulator. What a shame. Oh, there, there we go. There we go. 
Here we go. That is the uh, combat bit. Oh, so it's where... like a top-down sort of... Uh, yes. TV phase. It's a top-down, uh, and, uh, and, and it also has squad commands. I mean, you don't just have one cyborg that you're moving around. You can have a lot of cyborgs. You can have up to ten cyborgs in any given continent, and if you enter combat with ten cyborgs, you control one, and you can switch through all the other cyborgs, and then you can give them commands. Uh, look at the bottom of the screen. It says, hold fast. That means all the other robots stay in your damn corner, which is what you always want to do, because the AI in this game is... <laughs> Getting stupid, but but yeah, and and you basically control um, you know your cyborgs, um, and it's it's tons of fun. Uh, When I was at university, me and my friend uh, David would uh, obsessively play this game instead of doing our uh, you know projects and reports and shit. Um, Oh, there we go again. I'm I'm out of coins actually, (laughs) so I'm just I'm just fidgeting with the coins in the swear jar at this point. Refill, refill. There you go. Yeah. I'm just gonna shoot it. Anyway, it's funny because that that one that's shooting the missiles seems like a total ripoff of a, a Timberwolf from uh, from BattleTech. I wouldn't know, but uh, it is probably is. Yeah. Has anyone here uh, heard of a game called Laser Squad? Laser Squad? No. Laser Squad, not Squad. You sick. Isn't that what? Uh, squad. Uh, isn't that what XCOM is sort of based on? Yes, it's actually from the same designers, uh, Nick Gullop and uh, and his brother, Holger, uh, mm-hmm. uh, originally on the Amiga, where it had shitty music, but on the PC it actually had really, really good music. Um, and I, I'm not exactly sure what brought that up, because it wasn't on my list as such. It's just a kind of a predecessor of XCOM. So if you want to know where kind of where XCOM comes from in terms of squad management and UI, like you can, you can really, really see kind of the progression from Laser Squad to XCOM to everything that came after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty good. Um, I don't know. It just uh, it's pretty obscure, and for some reason, Trolls' uh, Cyber Empires thing uh, was just reminiscent of it. Because hmm. I, I really recommend uh, I, I really recommend Steel Empire as we knew it, or Cyber Empires as uh, you North Americans would uh, would know it. I really recommend it, and I really wish that someone would go back and uh, do like a remake of it. Like do procedurally generated maps because you know the world map is the same every single damn time. So once you've played it a number of times, you know head for the center city because that is where you get the most taxes and such. And some of the robots that, or some of the cyborgs that you can build are completely and utterly useless. Like there's there's a robot called Achilles and it lives up to its name. It has no value whatsoever. Um, but anyway, uh, someone really should, because uh, the idea is great. I think it's, uh, you know, it's basically just risk. It's a very, I mean, I'm not good at strategy games, so when you've got a strategy game like this, that's very, very easy on the strategy, mm-hmm. and just, you know, basically whenever you want to get into a fight, you have to get into the actual mech and start running around the city. This could be fun in, like, a like a 3D, uh, like, you actually get into the Shogo Mobile Warrior Division or whatever that game was called, like 3D Lith text style. Yeah, I'm rambling. Go go play Steel Empire. It's good. Cool. So uh, I have more, unless someone wants to pick it up. Brian, I, I have more so. as well. I think it's your turn. I mean, actually, I think it might be... Brian is trying to speak, but he's muted himself. My bad. Has <laughs> <laughs> anybody ever heard of Castle of Dr. Brain? Oh yeah, Sierra Online. But please do tell because it, it is an obscure game. How is it an obscure game? I think pretty much every 
uh, Israeli, you know, born in the 80s basically played it. Well, well I failed, man. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Castle of Dr. Brain and EcoQuest are like the bastard children of Sierra Online. Hey, EcoQuest is on my list as an obscure diamond. In the, it's not an obscure, but it's definitely a diamond in the rough. So, you know what? Fuck it. I'll allow it. Let's do Castle of Dr. Brain. There we go. <laughs> well, uh, guess what? It's another first-person view uh, adventure game. Really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, educational. So, uh, Joe, have you ever heard of it? I have, yes. Okay, so have you played it? I never. No, I have not. Pl- I have never played. I don't think I've played any Doctor Brain games. It was actually supposed to be, um, you know, like their their foyer into uh, competing with, um, like the Oregon Trail and stuff like that to get their games into schools. Mm-hmm. But none of the school, no, nobody I know ever had in their school. Um, are you saying that it was in schools, uh, Tomer, out there in Israel? Oh, we lost him. Tomer's wandered off, but he's back. Uh, no, uh, at least I don't think it was really. Uh, there weren't all that many games on computers in schools, and actually, uh, a lot of the ones that we did have, uh, by which I mean the ones that we legitimately had, not the ones we uh, just installed in the computer systems like Doom and such. Um, the ones that we did have were actually a lot of kind of locally produced educational software, and actually, some of it was really damn good, uh, including some. Uh, Surprisingly in-depth kind of business management games and such, uh, but it's all in Hebrew, so I don't think there's much of a point in my. Point. Admittedly, that's about as obscure as it gets, but. Well, I think there's a reason that uh, you know the, the the skunk works for Intel and a lot of really high-end engineering and programming stuff is out in Israel. There's a lot of really smart programmer type folks out there. Yeah, it looks like Brian has a Castle of Dr. Brain on the video. Oh, yeah, and they had a sequel, uh, Island of Cast- uh, Dr. Brain. I think there was more Dr. Brain games out there, but... Uh, there were three in total, I think. Uh, the I two think Island of Dr. Brain and Castle of Dr. Brain, and I think that's about it. I don't know about a third one. I'm pretty sure there was, there was a third one that sucked really badly, but let, let me try and look it up. In the meantime, Brian, why don't you uh, explain a little bit about the game? Well, honestly, again, it's just a you know another point-and-click adventure type game that's first person. It's you know like here, it's got a slider puzzle to solve. Um, Yay, slider puzzles! <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves them. I mean, it's definitely an SCI game. I mean, you, you can tell that yeah, right off the bat. I think it came out in '91. I'm not not sure on that, but early '90s, and it was uh, Amiga, DOS, and some Apple. I think Mac. Yeah. And I, I just looked, there's actually uh, four games in the series, but the final two were uh, produced by a completely different uh, bunch of people and took it in a, in a different direction, which is why none of us had ever heard of it, even the ones who are familiar with Dr. Brain. Uh, oh, and I, even, I, even, I even see copy protection here. Using your ultra-top-secret decoder grid, which is probably in the box. <laughs> oh, Joe, uh, did, did you know you can actually lock the screen on to Brian as he's playing the game? I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, he's done oh, that sure. before, but yeah, I mean, it's it honestly is is all standard run-of-the-mill um, adventure stuff with math and um, history and stuff mixed into it to make it educational. Sounds like the puzzles are a little more educational versus... yeah. I didn't. I guess I didn't realize, you know, as a kid that it was educational. But I just thought it was just different types of puzzles. Because a lot of puzzle games, the puzzles you're solving do require you to sit and use your brain and think. But 
You know, like no. even this one that's on screen right now is a math puzzle, but you're not just doing math programs. You've got to actually combine the numbers and get the numbers to go away by putting them into formulas. Um, so, again, it, it's obviously math, but it felt like an adventure puzzle to me. Yeah, and I mean, and, and that's cool. I think the only, the only kind of games we ever had in school, I think, were Carmen Sandiego. The, and then, or, or at least maybe we had others, but the only one I ever played in school was Carmen Sandiego, kind of in the guise of, you know, your teacher saying, hey, we're going to play a video game now. The only one we had was Gorillas.Bass. Because <laughs> it was already there. I had Math Blaster, I had Word Muncher, oh, of course, Oregon Trail and Carmen Sandiego, but yeah, there was a, you know, on the Apple IIe, there was tons of really not good educational games. <laughs> <laughs> um I can't remember the names of most. A lot of them were just really bad. But I remember uh, Math Blaster and Word Muncher. Mm. Uh, I know some, someone okay. did a did an episode about edutainment. I don't remember if it was Square Waves or Anatoly or whoever, but I, I, I remember an edutainment episode. Or maybe it was... Oh, I, I don't know. It must have been it, Anatoly. It was Anatoly, and they yeah. actually passed the quest, which is a nice segue because that's... I don't know how obscure I can call that game, but I definitely consider it to be a diamond in the rough because it was a very, very capably done adventure game with fantastic graphics and music. I mean, let me just, uh, let me just play it. EcoQuest? EcoQuest, yeah. yeah. And actually, oh, yeah. It actually taught me a lot of things. I mean, it's, it's obviously mostly for kids. Um, it, it probably taught you that the love between a young boy and a dolphin is very real and should not be uh, shamed. <laughs> well, yes, uh, but I mean... Beyond that, uh, you know, just basic uh, basic ecology stuff, the things that happen, oil spills, that sort of thing. I mean, I played it, uh, I must have been 9 or 10 when I played it, and actually taught me quite a lot. So in that respect, it's a very successful um, uh, education game, and it is very, very beautiful. So, uh, you know, other than the stupid dancing hamster thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's the and I, I think that's like the thing. They very presumptuously put one in the title, like EcoQuest One. Of like course, there's going to be many of these. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the, uh, there was an EcoQuest Two, which uh, a lot of people consider to be better for some reason than the first one, but I actually think it it really isn't. So yeah, I mean, EcoQuest just just works. It's very beautiful. The music, by the way, is just absolutely fantastic. So if you have the time. I mean, I know QuestStudios.com, um, which is a, a site aggregating um, music renditions from various Sierra games. I know that they closed up shop, but it's now hosted elsewhere, so you can probably still find um, just really, really good uh, GS-based renditions of the music online. I, I heartily recommend it. It's just fantastic music for the time. So, yeah, it's a good game. It's just really, really good and somehow most people are not aware of it. I, I'm actually really looking forward to you know a few years in the future when my kid uh, gets to the age where he can actually play and understand what the hell is going on and, and playing through the game with him should be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's and I know the thing for me with with EcoQuest was was exactly that. I think I might have been a bit too old and I was like, oh, I'm not going to play this. This is for kids. Blah blah blah. And so I never actually ended up. Looking at it, and yeah, as an adult who can appreciate a good adventure for being what it is, it still works in my opinion. I mean, it's not a particularly challenging game. You can basically finish it in a couple hours, maybe three. 
but it's just really, really good. So, mm -hmm. yeah, go for it. I mean, um, I've got one that I haven't actually played myself, but I just want to throw it out there because it's so obscure that even I haven't played of it. I played it. I just heard of it. Um, it's. Uh, I mean, everyone knows the seventh guest. Some people know eleventh hour, and they shudder at the thought of it. Clandestine is less shudder worthy. That game is crap. It's. Uh, but a few people know that Clandestine actually exists. Uh, most people, when they think uh, trial of games, they think seventh guest, eleventh hour, and that's about it. But no, they actually did a third game, which has these uh, uh, cartoonish graphics, like this sort of nonsense. Um, which which actually looks uh, really good. I'm, I'm, it's it is basically seventh guest all over again. It's the same kind of puzzles, you know. You walk around and do this sort of crap, and it's the same hand cursor and the same icons from the seventh guest games. Um, but I've never actually played this, and uh, you know, Trilobite folded shortly after they did this one. Um, so yeah, if if anyone's a, a seventh guest fan, I don't see why you would be, but they must exist out there somewhere. Um, go hey, ahead. Go, go check I'm this a, out. I think I'm you mean an 11th hour fan. I'm a 7th guest fan. The 11th hour can go fuck itself up a you know creek or something. Press <laughs> <laughs> one. The house is a rapist. The house is a rapist. <laughs> is a rapist. So yeah, um, um, I have a few more. So who, who's up? Uh, I can throw one in. I don't know if this is a diamond in the rough, but I I don't know too many people that have known about it. Have you ever heard of Ultrabots or Xenobots? Sounds like a Daft Punk album title. Yeah. So this is a you know a a big robot game, much no. much like like Mech Warrior, but it's actually a little <laughs> bit different in that uh, it's a bit more uh, strategy. So you have these you know. Blah blah blah, whatever. Mission, mission, mission. But you uh, you sort of lay out your your bots on a map, and uh, you can actually you don't need to control them. It's sort of a combination of Mech Warrior and uh, M1 Tank Platoon. Like you have your your bots, and they roam around on AI, and you can jump into any one of them, and you can. Oh, this play. sounds like Steel Empire. Sort of, and but there's an interesting uh, there's an interesting kind of twist to it in that. You can sort of um, how do I explain it? So you have your base, and then uh, you have your bots, and your bots can range out from your base. But once, but your base has a power grid, and once you range outside of the range of your power grid, your bots switch to battery, and your batteries don't last very long. So this one that you're in right now, it's kind of this uh, kind of salamander type uh, multi-legged bot. The, these ones have very crappy uh, weapons. They're like uh, infrastructure bots, and they will actually extend your power grid out. And basically, I think I, if I remember right, the goal of each mission really is just to destroy the enemy base. But to do that, you have to extend your power grid out towards their base so that your bots can range towards their base, but still be powered with an unlimited amount of power. That that sounds so much like Neo Genesis Evangelion, you know, <laughs> the, the anime, uh, the, the fucking umbilical cords. The yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we've got this amazing technology, but it uh, runs on a cord. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so it's interesting. I mean, it's not the best, you know, mech game or anything like that. The graphics aren't the best. The controls aren't the best. But it's an interesting concept. So I don't know if it's a diamond in the rough per se, but it's definitely an interesting game. I've never heard of this. The HUD takes up an amazing amount of space. Yes, it's it does. It does. Wing Commander One all over again. <laughs> and the uh, though, 
Uh, and the other interesting thing about this game, and maybe this pertains a bit more to the <laughs> previous... I like this. Cannot acquire target. Cannot engage enemy. <laughs> cannot do anything. Switching to manual. Who gives a shit? Yeah, it's basically like the AI sucks. The AI sucks. The AI sucks. You need to control everything manually. But, uh, yeah, the the interesting thing about this game that pertains to our previous Hangout is the box is super weird. It, um, I don't know if I can find a, find a shot of it, but it's not... Uh, very non-standard box in that it lays kind of sideways. Is it triangular shaped? It's not quite triangular shaped. I, there's a, a sexy girl there for some reason. Oh yeah, here it <laughs> Look is. Look away, kids. Oh yeah, you can see it right here. It kind of like part of it goes forward, then there's a connecting piece, and the other part what kind of goes back. It's very weird. What the hell? I mean, people who are listening to this, really, you have to look up a screenshot of this because this is just yeah, what the that, hell is going on? A that's very strange-looking box. It's no, yeah, yeah, and it, it is a NovaLogic game, so uh, I don't know if it uses some of the same kind of voxel tech as uh, Comanche Maximum Overkill does, but... Uh, probably does, or at least some other variant of voxels, but the, the box is screwed up. Yeah, it's really weird, and that's one reason that I, I didn't remember it for the longest time, and then uh, I think it was Craig that posted something in uh, in the Facebook group, and it was in there as kind of like a weird box, and I was like, oh yeah, I totally remember this. I never had the box, but I do remember it. It's, it, I mean, I, I thought the uh, Gabriel Knight uh, special edition box was weird, and I thought the uh, triangular Day of the Tentacle box was weird, and the microcosm box with the uh, square thing in the middle where the CD jewel case was, that was weird. This trumps everything. Yeah, this, this like that, that connector piece, weird. like you have to sort of like take it, I think it slides out but then you can open the tops of each of the sides of the box, and I don't know if there was anything in that centerpiece that connects the two halves of the box. It's a very strange... <laughs> I don't know. That's where you put your soul. Yeah, I have no idea, and I, and I guess they must have shipped them flat because it, you know, it could obviously twist, but it was just, yeah, it's one of the strangest game boxes I ever remember, and if anything, even if the game wasn't very good, though I remember it being somewhat entertaining, the box is definitely worth mentioning one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. You won't get any argument about that. But it's <laughs> really good. I mean, it looked kind of shitty. Yeah, I mean, it I definitely... The game looks pretty fun. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just because I got a Steel Empire flashback from, from watching the uh, the play video there. But it actually looks like how I thought a, a first-person Steel Empire game would look like. And yeah, the thing about the having, is... having to capture the uh, you know enemy uh, stronghold, uh, that, that's what you have to do in Steel Empire. Uh, to win the top-down action bit, you have to go into the center of the continent and destroy the flag, because then you know uh, you know a flag means you own the country. So if you destroy the enemy's flag, then they don't they no longer own the country. And then once the battle is over, you plant your flag and it's onwards to the next. So yeah, I mean fun. this this is definitely one of those games I'm probably going to cover on the show one of these days. But and and honestly, I don't have a, a a huge memory of it being good or bad. But uh, you know, it's definitely worth mentioning at the very least. Hey trolls, uh, I know it's kind of dark for most of the year in Scandinavia, but we can only basically see right eyeglass. There you go. Now we can see you. You can do that for the rest of the time. You're lighting. I mean, I, <laughs> I know. There's, there's nothing I can do. All, all I have for light inside this room is like two Christmas lights, and I've uh, you know pulled up the uh, window shades and such. Just pretend you see my lovely face. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll try moving in closer yeah. just to freak everyone out. 
Anyways, if anyone has anything that they really want to mention, we'll we'll start wrapping up soon. Alrighty, I've I've oh, got one. On your then, I've got one, and then Tomer can uh, bring us home. I think, or or yeah. Brian. Brian hasn't said anything. <laughs> I've covered all my favorites that I wanted to share. Okay. Well, uh, here's one that I loved, and I don't I don't know if this really qualifies as obscure, but I love the hell out of this uh, jetpack. Uh, game, not only because it's a fun game, it's it's basically just you know a, a single screen uh, uh, platform puzzle kind of thing where you have a jetpack and you fly around and you have to collect all these little things on tables um, to progress in the game. But it had a level editor, and uh-huh. I love, love games with level editors, and I would spend ages and ages you know making levels for this game. So if if anyone takes anything away from this hangout, if any devs are listening, please, if you're making an action game or a platform game or anything, please put a level editor in there. I know I know the uh, uh, the new Doom game has an in-game level editor. That is awesome. Yes. That is fantastic. And and this game had a really really good level editor as well. So um so and anyone played the jetpack here? No, but it looks like Load Runner with a jetpack. Pretty much. Pretty much. Or it, it looks like Load Runner starring Commander Keen with a jetpack. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and it's the shittiest jetpack ever. <laughs> it basically lets you jump a little bit. Yep. yep. But it's fun. It's, it's really... And, and, you know, the robot kills you, and the little uh, ball thing uh, will also kill you. You can put in teleporters, you can put in ladders, and you can um, put in treasures. It's, uh, you know... And it's, it's basically uh, Boulder Dash meets... Uh, Load runner, I guess. Mm-hmm. Except you don't. Yeah, because it, like like you just saw there, you, you can uh, you can destroy blocks with your I don't know jetpack turret or whatever. Um, it's, basically, lightning shoots out of his dick, and then he can destroy <laughs> blocks, and then they reform afterwards. Nice. Actually, the jetpack is not that shitty now that I look at it. I just I just remembered it being shit, but it's not. Okay, never mind. Uh, Tomer, why don't you bring us home? All right. Um, well, I try to reduce my list to just uh, two or three games plus one shout-out that I simply cannot do without. Uh, so we'll start at the... Why are you laughing already? Trolls was, Trolls was going very close to the camera so we could see his face. Creepy. Okay, uh, Subculture. Is that a game Wait, that... Richard G. James Aldo. Sorry. <laughs> I... Wait, no one listens to Apex Twin here? Come on. I think I might have had a minor stroke just now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, subculture. Has anyone heard of that one? No. Okay, so in Subculture, you are the captain of a submarine. Can you see it? Yep. yep. And uh, it's a 3D game. It takes place underwater. Uh, it's kind of a in a way, a collection and trading game with uh, a little bit of combat thrown in for good measure. It looks like Terminal Velocity meets Magic Carpet, but underwater. No, it's not actually all that similar to either one. I mean, um, maybe the graphics, but uh, you basically <laughs> you basically collect metal, uh, metal objects, and you have this magnet thing uh, hooked up to your submarine, as you can see. Mm-hmm. Um and you drag shit from place to place, and you have missions, and uh, you trade for stuff. So uh, it's a, actually a pretty unusual and deep game, and the 3D engine is uh, pretty phenomenal for its time. 
Um, you control the yellow submarine from the Beatles movie, I see. Um, well, ish. Yeah, but uh, like as you can see, there's a, there's a whole trading and, and economy game. Uh, so it sort of reminds me of like a. It's like kind of like a, a space trading game, but it is. It's privateer, but it doesn't suck. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. I, I know Privateer One was a good game. Um, never enjoyed it that much. But uh, as you can see, everything is tiny in this game. So it actually has a plot that somewhat makes sense, I guess. But uh, it unfolds over time. It's uh, it's pretty unusual, right? I mean, it's it's not like any other game you've ever played. It's maybe a tiny bit like. Privateer, but it's actually a lot more in-depth, I feel. Uh, and it's very unique in its setting. I don't remember too many underwater games that weren't, like, you know, attack subs or whatnot. Mm. Uh, I, have, I, have a, I have a question, um, yeah. because I see that the uh, menu screen here is an SVGA. And uh, two, two questions, actually. Is the uh, 3D part, is that also an SVGA? Is it 3D accelerated? And what year was this published? So it's SVGA. Uh, it's it is either software rendered, which looks very, very good, or it supported uh, Glide, I think. So it's actually running on a 3DFX Voodoo 2, I think. Uh, for uh, this. Can't be getting all over again. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I actually did not have a 3D accelerator at the time, so I played it with, uh, you know, with the software rendering mostly. But it actually still looked really, really fantastic. So good, good software 3D engine implementation. Um, I think it's a 97 game, maybe, or something like that. It's it's pretty obscure. Um, yeah, uh, 97. But uh, oddly enough, it was published by Ubisoft uh, back when they were pretty new to the game, apparently. So, yeah, anyway, uh, worth looking into. It's, uh, you know, it's esoteric <laughs> enough. That it's, received it's just... little recognition and limited sales. Well, that pretty much uh, is the definition of Diamond in the Rough, isn't it? Yeah. Like, this was a great game, but nobody bought it. Hmm. Uh, pretty much, yeah, uh, among others. So I have more. Does anyone want to interject with another one? I just wanted one, and that was the Blade Runner Westwood game. I don't know if that qualifies. It get it gets a lot of crap, but it's a yeah, good game. It is, it is really well known, though. It is. So I'm, I'm not going to push that one. Just uh, you, you, uh, you keep going. The, the other one I had was Phantasmagoria 2 which also got a lot of recognition, but it is ridiculed uh, a lot today. But, uh, you know, yeah, but I, I, pretty good, I, f- I feel. Uh, I that can also be considered a diamond in the rough, right? Because the first game was pretty panned and not great. And if the sequel was better, a lot of people might not have played it. Well, the sequel is not better. It's, it's, yeah. it's different. It's more gory. And the, uh, the, the designer, Lorelai Shannon, is phenomenally funny. You should all go and follow her on uh, on Facebook. Actually, uh, she's phenomenally funny, um, but her game is uh, is, is ridiculed <laughs> a lot. <laughs> all right. So uh, with that uh, optimistic segue, uh, let's go with uh, this one. This one, I don't think I know anyone who's ever heard of uh, of this game. Uh, it's called. Let me screen share. It's called Spider-Man and Venom: Separation Anxiety. And it's a side-scrolling game. It literally is a side-scroller beat-em-up game with Spider-Man and Venom, and it's actually a phenomenally good game. So if you're a you know Streets of Rage 
kind of kind of gamer and you enjoy that sort of game, uh, this one comes highly, highly, highly recommended. Hmm. And for whatever reason, it seems like no one has ever heard of it. So yeah, it's actually the it's a very old game. It's like '96, I think. It's actually the game that uh, because it was a Windows DirectX one or three or whatnot game, uh, it was actually the first one uh, that ever got me to install Windows '95. Like I wouldn't bother with it uh, beforehand. But yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a phenomenally good game. It's, it's just a lot of fun, good graphics, uh, very little music if I remember correctly, but it. The control Why is it called yeah. Separation Anxiety? Uh, because That's a weird title for a game. <laughs> because it's Spider-Man and Venom. Um, well, anyway, it ties into the, the franchise. Yeah, there's, there's comic stuff as to, you know, they're the same yeah. guy. Yeah, and, and I, know, I know the whole Venom-Spider-Man thingy. Uh, Venom is supposedly a homicidal maniac, isn't it? I mean, he was the... It was the um, uh, a parasite suit that Spider-Man wore for uh, a period of time, and then it, uh, you know buggered off and turned into a villain. Yeah, pretty much. So, I don't know. Anyways, it ties into stuff. But, uh, yeah, yeah, so unless anyone's got anything else that they really want to... Um, well, there's a shout-out. I have a million other games. Right. There's one game that I feel absolutely has to be uh, talked about, and that's Tron 2.0. Oh, uh, yes. I imagine at least one of you has probably played. So, yes. Tron 2.0 is one of those games that was just too good for its own good. Um, I it's just really not given any attention. Uh, but to start with, it's uh, you know it's Tron. It's, it's fucking Tron. Right? You go wrong with Tron. What else do you have to say? <laughs> um, yeah, but it's it's like in many ways for me it was like a dream come true. It was almost kind of a religious experience because Tron had a huge effect on me growing up, and uh, just being able to let me screen share again being able to walk around in these 3D environments, just basically walking around, controlling a character in the Tron universe. Um, and it's, Ooh, it's a monolith. And it's one of their um, relatively unknown titles um, for whatever reason. It's just absolutely gorgeous. This is a very old game mine. This is uh, 2004, I think. Mm -hmm. so it's right at the end of the uh, DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. Um, <laughs> great graphics, uh, beautiful music. Like, the music here... Do you remember iMuse from uh, from the LucasArts Adventure game days? Absolutely. No, please tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, does it bear repeating what iMuse is for the benefit of the no, audience? No, everyone knows what iMuse is. Okay, so... Uh, Tron 2 actually had a very similar system in place where it uh, dynamically mixed uh, partial tracks from a full-blown digital soundtrack. So it's basically I'm used for MP3s instead of oh, for nice. uh, uh, general MIDI or FM sound. Which uh, to me seems like it would be way more complex. Is, is this running a Lift Tech 2? Uh, yes, I think so. Because uh, uh, I had I had one game I was going to bring up and then I decided not to. But if anyone knows Shogo Mobile Armor Division, yeah, I, I don't think that that qualifies as obscure though. No, okay, I mean, it's pretty well known, isn't it? So I mean, if you've seen the movie Tron and you've loved it, which you know you guys are are pretty much of the right age for that, so yep. uh, this is very 
Tron, the, the thing that we're seeing now. I mean, this is just a, a, a real-time 3D rendition of Tron. So, you know, it's just mind-bogglingly fun to, to walk around in this world. And also the game, I mean, it had its issues, but it's pretty damn good as a game. It's a combination platform and, and first-person shooter in a way. Uh, but with some minor RPG elements and a definitely definitely a very story-driven uh, experience. So it has everything, you know, light cycles, uh, disc fights. It's just absolutely gorgeous. It has a lot of the original voice talent, which uh, if you're tracking the video, you might start noticing name dropping on the you know on the screen there. So you have uh, Bruce Boxleitner, who's actually playing Tron again. Um, and then you have, uh, uh, oh man, Cindy something. I forgot her name. I actually played uh, um, you know, the one of the women uh, in the original movie. So <laughs> quite a few well-known you know actors that they've brought back from the actual movie to reprise their roles, and it's just a really, really, really well-done game. Right, wasn't I guess there, wasn't this, there a... this was all official because Buena Vista Interactive was kind of like you know the Disney. Interactive yeah. of the time, and I think Disney Interactive doesn't exist anymore. But that's wasn't, how they could get the official stuff. Was, was, ahead, wasn't Charles. there a really high-profile uh, Tron game that came out uh, recently, also a 3D shooter, or is this the same one? Uh, it's the more recent one came out with a movie, and it was crap. Yeah, okay. I suspected as much. So yeah, this is just uh, this is just a, an amazingly beautiful game. Let me try and find a here. We, here you go. Super this is what cool. it actually looks like. It looks like Tron. You know, oh, it's my God. Oh, uh, light cycles. Yeah, oh my God. It completely went under everyone's radar. I don't know anyone else uh, other than me who's actually played this game, and it's tremendously enjoyable. Uh, so, I, remember, yeah. I remember seeing it on shelves, and I, I feel like there was a big marketing push for it, but I never played it. Yeah, well, if they if they did a big marketing push, they just failed miserably, and it was definitely limited to North America. I haven't, you know, I haven't even heard uh, a, a peep around this game uh, in Europe or in uh, certainly in Israel. Uh, it's just really, really, really fantastic. So yeah, kudos to Monolith for uh, for making this game. It's Monolith actually made a good game. Who would have thought? Because. <laughs> Because LiftTech was a crappy engine, let's be honest. Yeah. Well, not necessarily. I mean, uh, Tron 2 is definitely one counterexample to that, but also, uh, you know, uh, No One Lives Forever. Uh, I don't think you can call that a crappy engine or a crappy game. Well, I, I was just thinking Blood 2, and uh, Shogo wasn't exactly, uh, you know, a fantastic game. Blood 2 is crap, that's true. I mean, uh, I, I didn't like a lot of Monolith's games, but they always had good tech, that's for sure. I and mean, even Blood, had a, you know, it was Build, I think? Uh, the, the, the first Blood was, and Blood 2 was uh, Lith Tech, the first Lith Tech uh -huh. engine. Yeah, well, anyway, uh, so Tron 2... still have, like, a whole bunch of games on my list, but I guess this is definitely one where uh, we can wrap up with... And I highly recommend, even if you're not going to actually check out the game, I highly recommend looking up the uh, the end music medley uh, along with the video because it's just this amazing modern, completely modern rendition of what is essentially all the bits and pieces of the Tron soundtrack 
reimagined on modern hardware. It's just amazing. Oh, that's and, cool. That'll have to check out for sure. And one anecdote, just to wrap the Tron thing up. Sure. Um, the do you know who wrote the soundtrack for the movie Tron? I know who wrote the soundtrack for the new movie, but not for the original. I love the new soundtrack. So the new soundtrack is uh, is Daft Punk, I think. But yes, uh, yeah. yeah, but the original one was uh, Wendy Carlos, who's. Uh, I I was gonna say, but then I didn't I didn't want to you know be called out and go no nah, no that was Clockwork Orange shut the <laughs> hell up. That was also a Clockwork Orange. Funnily enough, uh, uh, interesting fact: um, a Clockwork Orange. Actually, the music credit goes to Walter Carlos. Uh, let you wrap your head the transition. Yes. So she's also a, a pretty public, well-known, very early example of uh, a sex reassignment uh, surgery or therapy, uh, whatever it's called nowadays. Whatever you want to call it, yeah. So brilliant musician, and uh, it's it's really really awesome to hear her music kind of reimagined on on modern day, you know, styles and capabilities. It's just fantastic. So yeah, that's cool. Super so, nice. I got one quick mention I just want to throw out there. Has anyone heard, uh, probably have ZZT from... Uh, oh, yeah. Zeta? It's, uh, you know, again, another one of those ASCII ones. Or ANSI, sorry, ANSI Graphic Games. And that was Tim Sweeney who made that from uh, Apogee, so... Uh, no, oh, nice. From uh, from Epic Mega Games. Epic, sorry, I said Apogee, sorry. Yeah, uh, same thing, Tim Sweeney, by the way, who's now the lead uh, engineer on the Unreal Engine, so... Huh. That's a game I want you to cover, Joe. Unreal. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, please don't. Oh come on. <laughs> I, I was a big fan of the original Unreal, and uh, everyone was all about um, Half Life Two. Or, I'm sorry, Half Life, um, because you know it had moving mouths and stuff like that. And it's, it seems like Half Life killed Unreal's uh, enthusiasm. Um, yeah. See, I only oh. ever played Unreal Tournament 2004. I never played in the other, the original. I, I never. I mean, original Unreal. Yes, I did. Uh, the original Unreal was good uh, for the first two levels, and then it just turned into another, you know, crawling around lava levels uh, condensed. I mean, the bit where you're running around the crashed spaceship in the first level, that is awesome. When you get outside, that is even more awesome. And then the actual game starts, and you're just like, uh, yeah, okay, really. Mm. So I usually disagree with trolls on principle, but I'm gonna have to go with them on this one. That was <laughs> a perfectly apt description of the game. It's really awesome for two levels. It's beautiful, mind-blowingly beautiful. Uh, the music, by the way, still holds up today, though. That's uh, oh yes, more music. Yeah, it's Alexander Brandon and uh, Andrew Sega, and there's a track there from Skaven, Peter uh, Haiba. Um, yeah, so good, good, good music in that game. And beautiful graphics, shitty gameplay. Just didn't hold up. Yep, I agree. And also, uh, Unreal Tournament. Screw Unreal Tournament. Completely random bullshit. I was always a Quake man. Yeah, I was a Quake man for a while, but then I got uh, with the program, and I play both. But DM17 on Quake 3. That is still the best fucking random, <laughs> crazy ass. Couldn't agree more. Oh, yeah. All right, well, I guess that's a good, as good a place as any to uh, to wrap it up. So um, thanks, guys. And, yeah, because um, the light is dying, isn't it? I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm basically Trolls looks like he's... It's like Blair Witch in Trolls, Troll's house. Now I'm here, and now I am disappearing. <laughs> that's a cool effect. <laughs> so uh, I know Trolls has... I'm Holly from Red Dwarf. 
<laughs> so I know Trolls has a few places to find him on online. So uh, let's start with you, and then uh, everyone else. Uh, feel free to uh, plug your Twitter accounts or websites or various uh, whatever you've got. So Trolls, go for it. Thank you. Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at SQHistorian. You can find my blog over at SpaceQuestHistorian.com, which is also where I post my Let's Play videos and soon uh, review videos and all sorts of other related nonsense. And you can go to my YouTube page to watch me be an ass and try to play adventure games and be crap at it over at YouTube.com slash which is my real name, and I'm desperately hoping to get to 500 subscribers so I can change that goddamn URL. <laughs> <laughs> Tomer, anywhere to look for you online? Uh, sure, yeah, I'm around, but uh, I guess the easiest way would be to find me on Twitter. That's uh, Tomer G, T-O-M-E-R-G. Um, but I'm, I'm, like, unless you're a professional software developer, I'm likely not going to post anything that you'd find interesting except the occasional thing. Uh, well, luckily, I am a professional software developer, so I find your tweets entertaining. And Brian, how about you? I'm very inactive on Twitter, and, and in my Twitter handles, just Brian Haskell, kind of generic. So, and uh, nothing much on Facebook either. I I game on all the platforms on HD Brian though, Steam, um, Play PlayStation, Xbox, even Nintendo. I, I I'm one of the few people who still plays uh, the current Nintendo, uh, the Wii U. So, <laughs> oh, I've got a 3DS that I'm really enjoying. So you know, Nintendo's got its uh, got its place in my life. Has anyone still got a Wii? Yeah, the kids have in the basement. I gave mine to my dad, but I keep meaning to take it back to play some is stuff. That, is that Wii or Weed? Ha ha ha. Nintendo. Weed. I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's almost not... it's almost legal here. Well, Joe, thanks, man. This was a great topic. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, lots really, and lots of that, fun. That was, guys. Great games, and yeah, I've totally uh, got got a huge, got a nice list here that I can add to the to my two cover. Oh, there are definitely some games that I have to check out right now, especially that sci-fi game that Tomer was talking about. Yeah, um, that one looks really cool. Yeah, I, I I have to check that one out. Yeah, Chrono Chrono Jizzer or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, sure, that's the one. <laughs> that might All be right, a different so. game. Yes, maybe. <laughs> All right, so that's that's cool. Thanks a lot, guys. And I guess uh, so. The, the, my scheduling and my sickness and my life have uh, messed things up. So I intended to have the Day of the Tentacle episode out before this, but uh, the Day of the Tentacle episode will be out after this because I'm me, and that's how the show rolls. And that gives uh, me time to put in a voicemail. Absolutely. So if you have any voicemails about Day of the Tentacle, and I'm sure lots of you do, uh, feel free to fire them off to podcast at umbcast.com and. Uh, I think after that I'm probably going to cover the new Doom if my machine will run it. So uh, that should Doom. be that should be a lot of fun. So uh, that's that. Thanks, guys, and uh, I'll, I'll end can off I, normal. Yep. Can I plug in one recommendation? It's just yes. a game playing the hell out of uh, in the last week. It's called One Finger Death Punch. I uh, have heard of this. Yes. You must try it. Uh, trolls don't. You're not into arcade and action games, but everyone <laughs> who is must definitely try that game out. It's awesome. Very, very cool. Okay, so thanks again, guys, and uh, we'll see you all in a little while with Day of the Tentacle and uh, in you know a, a couple of, of a few months or so for uh, for another hangout. Yeah. So, see you around the Chrono Stream. Bye, bye, everyone. Arr. Thank <laughs> you.
Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastriani. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join the unity.